0: The ability to be able to to plan that film and get the cuts together and, and everything it's just um yeah just an absolute kind of bravura bra- 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 i can't say that word <laughs> bravura i'm gonna cut that out don't worry it's absolutely amazing filmmaking <laughs> <laughs> all right ramblers let's get rambling my name is steve and thank you for listening this is episode 11 of For Me These Films Are The Juice and it's going to be top 5 biopics from myself, Dustin and Nick from the Cherry Bombs podcast Um, I really enjoyed recording this this podcast Um, I had a lovely time chatting with, with Nick and Dustin and they're both um both great guys both very knowledgeable about about films and speak very passionately about their favorite filmmakers and their favorite films as well so uh yeah i had a great time recording it and um very um very educational as well definitely picked up some things i'd never heard before and also some recommendations for some films that i haven't watched before as well so um i hope you all enjoy the episode um if you can um, take a little look at the, the Cherry Bombs podcast. Maybe give them a follow on social media as well. Um, they've got a quite an extensive back catalogue of over 30 episodes. And um, yeah, definitely worth a, worth a listen to. They're, they're, they're really good stuff um, that they put out there. Um, before we get into the episode just a little bit of a uh, little bit of housekeeping um, so the last episode I did was the Tom Cruise draft with um, Edward from the 80s movie podcast and Wayne from recasted 2.0 um, so we all picked all three of us picked uh, our own call signs so uh, Edward was hotshot. shot um, Uh, Wayne was Starscream and I was Riptide and um, we went through uh, Tom Tom Cruise's filmography and we each picked two films from the 80s, two films from the 90s, two films from the 2000s and two films from the 2010s in a a draft style and the results were in and uh, in third place was Edward Hotshot who got nine votes. Which was quite surprising, he took a real early lead, everyone was, was voting for him, um, uh, and myself and Star, Starscream actually uh, tied 14 each. Now um, on the episode and on social media, um, Edward was very, very confident that he'd, got the best, um, that he'd done the best draft and, and got the best films, but obviously it wasn't to be Edward, sorry to hear that. And, um, I just listened to, to Wayne's latest episode, the recasted of Beverly Hills Cop, which as always is amazing, uh, amazing episode with him and, um, with him and Jesse. So, uh, definitely go in and search that one out. And he was still saying that he thought he won the draft, but yeah, the results are the results. Um, so yeah, happy to, uh, to have shared the time, shared the, uh, the win there with, um, with Wayne. Um, so yeah, that was a lot of fun. If you haven't listened to that episode yet, please do, uh, give it a listen. It was, uh, it was a really good episode. Um, As always, uh, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, My Facebook group is, uh, for me, These Films Are The Juice. Um, I'm also doing a bit more on uh, Instagram at the minute as well. Um, So you can search me on there, These Films Are The Juice. Um, Probably the best way to... um, Follow me and hear things about the about the podcast and, and things that are going on and and um, kind of uh, sharing of episodes from other other amazing podcasts as well that might be worth having listened to is on Twitter, uh, which is at Films Are the Juice. And as I mentioned in the in the last episode, I've recently set up a buy me a coffee account. So if there is anyone out there who um, would like to financially support the podcast um you can buy me a coffee which is basically five pounds um uh, and it will go towards go towards the podcast um i've recently been when listening back to the episodes and i've had a couple of comments before about sometimes the sound quality isn't isn't brilliant so i'm going to invest in a uh, a new mic um for myself um so so yeah just any kind of donations towards that kind of thing are, are really greatly appreciated and just helps the podcast to um to be better and um you can also get in touch with me by email uh, these films are the juice at gmail.com so if you want to just get in touch with me for anything at all any comments any feedback uh, any questions or, or anything like that, that at all just to, to have a have an interaction um please feel free to uh, to send me an email um so yeah I just want to say as usual just a massive thank you to, to everyone for for listening um, and uh, yeah I hope you enjoy um, episode 11 of For Me These Films Are The Juice which is the top five biopics from myself, Nick and Dustin of the Cherry Bombs podcast. Let's get to it. Enjoy. <music> Okay, so today I'm absolutely delighted to have Dustin and Nick from the Cherry Bombs podcast joining me to talk about our top five biopics. Um, Dustin, Nick, thank you very much for, for joining me.
1: Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it.
0: No, no worries at all. I've been um, I've listened to a, to a couple of your episodes, and um, um, Dustin, I think it's yourself who I kind of communicate probably with most on um on twitter and um i was gonna say i listened to the water water world episode recently and absolutely absolutely loved it so uh yeah you guys do uh, do really good stuff
1: thank you yeah, we had a blast recording that one that's that's sort of <laughs> one of the one of the defining movies of the show i think kind of sums up what the show's about
0: yeah no it was good i loved your um I love the clip of uh, Dennis Hopper that you put in when he was talking about his experience filming it. Oh, it was just, you know, I was on Hawaii. I was right by the the golf course, and you know, it was it was great. You know, I know there was a few problems with it, but I think it's a good film. <laughs> just...
1: He just remembers the golf. That's all. he <laughs> Exactly. <remember. laughs> exactly.
0: Um, no, that's that's absolutely awesome. So, um, so yeah, thank you guys again for, for coming on the um, on the podcast today. And uh, yeah, we're going to be talking about our um, top five biopics. So we'll get that into that. In, um, in a few moments, but I just wanted at the start, just to give you guys uh, uh, kind of a bit of the floor really, just to um, tell uh, me and hopefully anyone who listens um, a little bit about your podcast and where people can find you and inspirations for it. So um, so yeah, um, firstly, I suppose, uh, first question that you guys can go into it. Where did, um, where did the name come from, Cherry Bombs?
1: Cherry Bombs is an inspiration from Uh, The very first movie that we ever covered, which is a movie that kind of sums up what the show is all about. It was Howard the Duck, the George Lucas 1986 sort of massive notorious bomb that was big budget, came out. Everybody hated it, didn't make any money. It's kind of the poster child for like the bomb. And we've, of course, in the movie, there's a band uh, led by Leah Thompson called Cherry Bomb. And so that felt like a good connection. Plus, we're, the movie, the, the, I'm sorry, the, the podcast is about um, unfairly, what we feel are unfairly maligned movies. Mm-hmm. So films that either failed at the box office uh, or that have just a bad reputation uh, just generally among people that when you mention it, oh, that movie's terrible. Even if they haven't seen it yeah but these are movies that we absolutely passionately love a lot of them we grew up with so we've got a lot of nostalgia for them How are the duck being one of them we've covered movies like Grease 2 which you know always is the the uh the, the when people talk about oh greece they love but Grease 2 is terrible but we love Grease 2 actually more than greece so that kind of gives an idea of what the show is like we talk about david lynch's dune ridley scott's legend flash gordon is a big one yep. flash gordon is one where people say oh well it's a bad movie, but I like it anyways, or it's a guilty pleasure. And our attitude towards the whole concept, I understand guilty pleasures, a lot of shows out there that do really good entertaining guilty pleasure shows. But I think our attitude has always been, if it's a pleasure and it's not hurting anybody, why are you feeling guilty about it? Like we don't don't have to have any guilt for our pleasures. So Waterworld's another example. And then like things more recently, like Star Wars, The Rise of Skywalker, which was an incredibly, for reasons we still don't really fully understand, controversial movie people didn't like, um, everybody was down on. We loved it. So we did a three and a half hour show on that. So that's kind of the spirit of the show. And cherry bombs, we thought, you know, the sort of the word cherry um, uh, being, you know, sort of an old fashioned way of referring to something that's sort of like fine and, and, um, you know, mint or great. And so it kind of, Molded together into cherry bombs, as as the name of the podcast. Really seemed
0: to fit, yeah, yeah. Whose um, whose idea was to was it to start um, the the podcast? Nick.
1: Um,
2: it, it was Dusty's uh, idea to do it. I mean, there were so many um, <clears throat> podcasts out there that were, um, you know, usually generally. It's I mean, especially with social media now, there's just a lot of negativity in it. You know, and, and stuff like that. You see everybody always hating on somebody for. Yeah you know, liking something and everybody's out there just to kind of like, you know, you know, kind of, you know, yuck or yum yep. uh, type of a thing. And, you know, he said, you know, why don't we do something that's just a little bit more positive?
1: I think we should talk about how we met. Do you want to talk about how we met? Because it does feed into like how we ended up and, you know, with a podcast.
0: Yeah, go for it.
1: Yeah. So um, I was looking
2: for a, a, another job, uh, something to do uh, for Second Shift. And, you know, one of the places that you shopped, which was one of the, Stores that I still miss to this day was uh, Suncoast Pictures, which was a video store that sold, you know, movies, but also you know, double sided posters, which you you know don't get to buy in stores really anymore. And um, I don't think do we sell toys in there? I don't think so. I don't remember. Yeah, there's t- maybe toys maybe some figures, little knickknacks kind of stuff. and stuff like that. Yeah, movie. So all
1: things, movies.
2: <clears throat> so when, it was um, it was when, a mall when, that I
0: Nick, when, when sure. are we talking? When was this?
2: Oh boy. 96. Oh, nice. Okay. Summer of 96, I believe. Yeah. when that was. Good summer. Um so so yeah, so um now I'm a, <laughs> the the funny joke about this was that I'm a I'm a big Batman fan. I'm also an eternal optimist. So, I'm always hoping the movie is going to be everything that I want it to be even though it's going to be a disaster. So this so it was the point where um Batman and Robin was okay. going to come out and I
1: remember I went in there wasn't I looking for like a standee or something like that you wanted you wanted the Alicia Silverstone so this would have been Alicia guess, Silverstone 97-ish when we met because <clears throat> you wanted the Alicia Silverstone character 27 by 40 poster
2: yes <laughs> now again this is before it came out so I mean I, I do realize the disaster that it was but I remember like like you weren't going to hire me because of that which was funny <laughs> <laughs> Totally understandable. Totally
1: understandable. <laughs> Cannot blame you for that at all. I wouldn't do that now. Like, I was a little bit more judgmental about other people's tastes of movies back then. Now, I just love that anybody loves anything because yeah. there's so much negativity out there. It's nice. We're, in fact, we're about to do a Batman and Robin episode. We're going to do a commentary I was just about
0: to ask that question. Summer. Yeah, if that's going to. By the right way, to that sense. is not my idea. <laughs>
1: <laughs> that was my idea because I've had a kind of a, 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 re, a reconsideration of that movie. So. If you want to hear anybody on the planet defend Batman and Robin, probably I'm the only one, check out that episode when can't, it comes out.
0: Yeah, definitely. Can't wait to see what the feedback is on that one, Dustin, for you. Know no way.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I don't love it. I, I, I recognize there's problems, but yeah. uh, but uh, I think there's a lot more to love there than people might give it credit for.
0: Okay, okay. But we'll see. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. Arnold Schwarzenegger, maybe. That's the, you
1: know, He's, yes. The and it's, it's an amazing-looking movie. Yeah. And it has an energy. And it's not... It's not like the other Batman movies. I mean, it's a little bit like Batman Forever, but it's kind of its own oddball thing. The closest correlation maybe the Adam West Batman would would be. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure you were buying the poster Nick literally for because it had Alicia <laughs> Silverstone on it. Not from, <laughs> that when I'm oh
2: my
1: god! Yeah. <laughs> or was it when you were yeah, so.
0: where you were in prison at the time and you were trying to cut up the <laughs> hole you were you were digging. <laughs>
1: So, yeah, that's where we met, and then um, we just uh, became, like, fast friends, and we went Mm -hmm. to movies every weekend for, man, what, 20 years, huh? Oh, my God, yeah. 20 years until I moved to California, but every weekend, and we would see two, three movies sometimes in a day, and then it would be that post-movie, you know, end of the day standing outside the theater for two more hours talking about all the movies that we saw. Yeah. So, to do a podcast felt natural, felt Uh like... This is like we do this anyways, and because we're separated now by distance, it's a great way to like a couple of times a month, sit down and just talk about movies, um, and have an excuse to do that. So, and the the idea for the podcast uh, arose when I saw a really good documentary called Lost Soul: The Doom Journey of Richard Stanley's Doctor Moreau, okay, um, which was about the making of the Val Kilmer Marlon Brando Island of Doctor Moreau from mm. back in '96. Um, a movie that I liked when I saw it in the theater. I thought it was weird and subversive and, and just, just weird. It's not a, a perfect movie. It had a lot of production problems that kind of the scenes show in the movie. Yeah. But I really always liked that movie. And the documentary was about what a disaster the production was. But the one thing that, that bothered me about it was that everyone had this attitude that was being interviewed of sort of, well, of course we all agree the movie turned out awful. And there was not a single person on there saying, I kind of liked the movie or like, it kind of worked for me. And I, that, that made me think about what if I wrote a book? I should write a book about all these movies that nobody gives any credit to. And and maybe hopefully people will re-examine it because so much time has passed and hopefully the stigma has worn off some of these movies. It might be time to go back and look at some of this stuff. And that kind of evolved into the idea of doing the podcast.
0: It, it is kind of crazy how um, the... The reputation especially of well actually the reputation of a of a classic movie or a bomb lasts longer than the maybe the film is remembered for you know what i mean so it's like you know everyone as you when you're growing up it's just like um the godfather the godfather part two they're the most amazing films ever ever made you got to watch them and everybody says it and then um if you don't see it you're like oh here uh, yeah like, oh, god, the Godfather, the Pot 2 they're amazing aren't they He's like have you
1: watched it? no okay <laughs> right <laughs> Even if you it, haven't and then, and seen it
0: or as you say Howard the duck Waterworld, world grease 2 oh god
1: they're terrible yeah. they're absolutely oh, they're terrible awful. They? You have you seen it no no, no. Okay. i would i heard it's terrible yeah it's like have your own experiences with these movies and maybe you'll like them maybe there'll be something that speaks to you in them
0: yeah exactly and that is the you know it's one of the it's one of the amazing things about about films i find you know just how kind of different people can can feel about it you know I, I loads of times i've been to the cinema with with friends of mine and we've come out and have completely different um opinions on it you know i remember watching the the first kill bill with a good friend of mine and i i absolutely loved it and he couldn't he couldn't stand it and um we, then we went and watched kill bill too he was a huge fan of it and i was a bit like meh about it um it's it's um <sighs> Yeah, it's, it's I'm in sure. the
1: same exact way. Loved yeah. one, didn't like two. Much but much what's much also it, interesting is yeah. how malleable uh, sort of movies are over time. Like as you change, maybe your take on a movie changes. Maybe a movie you hated, you 20 years later, suddenly it speaks to you. Or yeah. a movie that's that happened you... to me.
2: Eraserhead is a great example for me of that. Yeah, you know.
0: What What was your initial take on on Eraserhead,
2: <clears throat> Nick? I remember I saw it um, in college. Uh, um, in a film class, and I don't know what it was, I was just like, I was uncomfortable, I didn't like it, it just, I was just like, oh god, this is just, this is just bad, and, but there was something about it, where every couple of years, I would, I would rent it, and I would watch it, and I'd be like, oh, nope, nope, and then, but there was something that, but each time I would watch it, there was something where I'm like, I kind of like that. I kind of like that. And all these years later, I love it. I absolutely love that movie. And something And something that I find interesting, like if you were to, you know, take a movie and give it a grade, you know, A, B, C, D, F. To me, the always the most interesting movies are the A's, the B's, and the F's. Yeah. Because the, the C and D movies, you probably will never watch again. Yeah. But even if you grade a movie with an F, there's if it's something so terrible you're like why is it so terrible and you may revisit it right so there's something special about movies that even if they hit you really negatively for whatever reason that you may revisit it and go why didn't i like that so many years ago what was it what was it about it but like c and d movies those always seems to get lost more in the mix than a terrible movie Uh you know
0: yeah it's it's just amazing you mentioned a razorhead because i literally answered a um, a question from someone on Twitter the other day saying, "What's the, um, what's the the film that um, stuck with you the most in a negative way?" And I I I put a head because I was exactly I had exactly the same experience as you. I watched it in college, um, in my film studies class, hated it. Felt so physically uncomfortable watching the film um just everything about it i I could appreciate i could appreciate it as a um i hate to say it but a piece of art for want of a better way but um could not stand it and I've never had another desire to watch it again but just you saying that I'm thinking oh maybe I should kind of give it a try and, and test myself with it to see if it if I have got a different opinion now
2: well you know even you know watching any movie though in a college thing is always like the worst environment possible to yeah. uh, you know yeah. <laughs> sit there and appreciate something anyway so yeah. Um, but yeah I mean I would I I would recommend it just you know watch it again see see if there's anything that hits you because like I said it took me many viewings but mm-hmm. I've gotten to a point though where I absolutely love it
0: yeah yeah, no, I will. I will definitely do that. Yeah, uh, cool, guys. That, that's absolutely amazing. So, thank you so much for that. Um, so, uh, do you have uh, kind of a preferred platform for anyone to listen to you on, like, for reviews and things, or is it just people just find you and listen to you? Or
1: um, we're kind yeah. of on everything. We're okay. you know, we're an, I know we're in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcasts. You can kind of find us if you just type in. I found that if you type in Cherry Bombs, underappreciated into yes. a Google search because it does seem like there's maybe another podcast or a couple of things out there, Cherry Bombs, or you get the, the runaway song pops up, things like that. So if you just, because the full title of the show is Cherry Bombs, the Underappreciated Movies Podcast. So if you just type in Cherry Bombs, Underappreciated, it'll pop right up. Um, we've got about 34, 35 episodes out now. Um, we do a show, we try to do a show a month because yeah. we do very production heavy uh, shows which is a lot of editing con- yes. clips and yes. interviews and little things like that all popped in there and we also we tend to go on and on and on and on so I try to trim us down to be more concise so because of all the production it's hard to put out a, a show every week I'm amazed at the people that can do that and you know, my hat's know. off to them
0: yeah when i when i first started i was i was trying to aim for one a week one every two weeks and yet just could not keep up with it at all Um, right and my production value is 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 much less than you guys that is one thing i did really really appreciate about you guys um episode as well as the content just the you know just how um kind of slick it was with the um with the clips of interviews and the bits from the film and um yeah just it was it was really it was really great so yeah just anyone who's listening i can i can recommend um Cherry Bomb's Underappreciated Films Podcast. Is that the entire title? Sorry, Dustin,
1: uh, Cherry Bomb's The Underappreciated Movies Podcast. The
0: Underappreciated Movies Podcast. Um, yeah, so no, I recommend it highly to absolutely anyone. And you guys are on Twitter and are you guys on Instagram as well or Facebook?
1: Yeah, we're on Twitter at Cherry Bomb's Pod. We're on Facebook. And we do have a YouTube page where we, have, we try to put a, a little trailer together for each of the episodes every month. And there's a few episodes that you get a little taste of what the show is actually on the YouTube page, mm-hmm. um, but um, it's mainly uh, promos and videos. We're, we're looking to expand that into some more stuff, maybe in the next in the coming year.
0: Just to just to say, we had a bit of a conversation about it. Now, um, we're not just going for. Um, i like the way you described it by the way just now i've not heard it that way before but cradle to grave um films about a person um we're kind of saying that this could be any film that basically has a real person being portrayed in it and about a real life event that is taking place that has real life people being portrayed in it yeah
1: yeah yeah i think that that opens it up then um to a lot of movies that we might not be able to talk about
0: Definitely, definitely so that's that's the um yeah so that's the kind of rules behind the, the types of films that that we're going to talk about um and yet yeah, so dustin and Nick have well we've given each other our lists so i've got them in in front of us here so i won't um i won't spoil them before we get into it um so i thought we could do um so i thought we could go in order of dustin myself and then Nick are you both kind of happy with with that to go through the yeah, yeah that works also, yeah should we just uh get straight into it Sure. Awesome. So, uh, Dustin, you're number five, please.
1: Okay. So I'm going to kick it off with the ultimate Cherry Bombs movie. It's a film that we recently did a two and a half hour episode on. It's one of the most demented, notorious, uh, over-the-top movies ever made. Uh, A lot of people think this is one of the worst movies ever made, actually. But it's a movie that we both love because I think exactly because of its insane sort of um, operatic approach to the story. And so my number five is 1981's Frank Perry directed Mommy Dearest. Uh, It's about Joan Crawford, who of course was a movie star from an era kind of when just being a movie star was a full-time job in itself. You know, forget about making the movies, like just to be the movie star was the thing, like a 24-hour lifestyle. Uh, She was glamorous and exciting and unpredictable and talented, but she was also cruel And like vindictive and insecure and egomaniacal. Um, Sort of everything that's good and bad about Hollywood itself, I guess. Kind of that that blend. Of course, all that makes great material for a biopic. It takes place, it starts around 1940-ish. When she's one of the biggest stars in the world. But she's got this sort of void in her life. So she adopts a baby daughter from a black market baby agency. Because she's a single mother um and uh, the focus of the movie is the incredibly dysfunctional abusive relationship she has with her daughter christina uh for over like the next 30 years uh it's told from christina's point of view it's based on the tell-all book of the same title that she wrote after joan crawford died so it might not be an accurate portrait of the situation joan wasn't around to defend herself so, you know, we can get into the whole, like, whether or not biopic has to be historically accurate. I personally believe that it shouldn't have anything to do with historical accuracy because uh-huh, it's a yeah. springboard for telling a story that, that you know, not, that we're not looking to learn something about the person. We're looking to learn something about ourselves, I think, when we go to see a movie, ultimately. Um, uh, Werner Herzog, who's one of my favorite documentary filmmakers, and he also makes uh, narrative features, has a, a, a great quote about or a great concept of sort of ecstatic truth or poetic truth. And he says that um, sort of only a larger truth can be reached through fabrication and imagination and stylization. I think that plays into, you know, good biopics. You take maybe the the, the raw material of a real person's life and you figure out how can this mean something to people in general? How can you make a larger theme or a larger message here that people can actually apply to their own selves and their own lives? So Mommy Dearest... Again, probably not accurate. Totally. Maybe it is. We, we'll never know. But it's more like a monster movie than a biopic. I think Joan's the monster. Christina's like, um, what do they call The final girl, <laughs> almost. But um, Faye Dunaway plays Joan Crawford, who's probably best known these days. Uh, Faye Dunaway as the actress that read the wrong winner for Best Picture at the Oscars a few years ago. She's the one that called... Uh, called it for La La Land. Yes, when it was actually Moonlight. Yeah, she's probably best known for that lately. But she was a big star in the late 70s. She was in network. Uh-huh. She's in Bonnie and Clyde. Um, uh, she's an Oscar winner, I believe. So when she did this movie, she was kind of at the height of her powers mm. and her performance is sort of, um, I don't know, I'm, Nick can help me on this one, simultaneously uh, brilliant and nuanced. But then also almost at the same time insanely over the top mm-hmm. and that's kind of an understatement it, it's it's like it's like a kabuki performance but i love oh, big God. acting such a great name to describe <laughs> it. it's crazy i like that though i like actors yeah. that give you your money's worth like yeah. I, we, we like william shatner as an actor and charlton heston as an actor and and like sometimes even gary oldman uh when he go i love gary Oldman, no matter what he's doing but i really like it when he really goes there like uh-huh. in the professional or oh, like some of bram stoker's dracula when he's just emoting like it's so big uh-huh. um you just feel like i you know i'm getting my money's worth here and faye dunaway goes there um there's great behind the scenes stories for this movie we do go into all those on the show uh, uh-huh. about how awful faye was to work with and she's a giant ego and all that stuff um It was really a tortured production, and it came out it was a big bomb, and it came out, got savage by critics. Faye Dunaway disowned the movie okay but uh yeah, since then it's kind of gotten like a cult midnight movie status mm-hmm. um I actually went to a screening at the Egyptian theater in Hollywood on Mother's Day appropriately enough All right, a few okay. years ago, yeah. and there was a full blown kind of audience interaction with the screen, which was incredible. It was like oh, it was okay. like the Rocky horror Picture show yep. type thing or a like mommy horror picture show. <laughs> So yeah, my number five, and those are all the reasons why "Mommy Dearest." I love that movie; it's crazy.
0: Nick, are you um, are you as big a fan of this one as Dustin is?
1: Yeah, I am. I came into that movie a little bit
2: later. It's one of my wife's favorites. Um, so yeah, I kind of came into it late, but I mean, I'm. I'm it's better. It's better late than never. Um, but yeah, that that movie is just something else. And there's just, I mean. I wish I could watch myself watching it, because I swear my eyes have popped out of my head um, for certain <laughs> scenes of that movie. Um, but, yeah. Uh, and, like, <laughs> yeah, it's just... Uh, monster movie is just such a great word for that, too, because it's just, yeah.
0: I I haven't seen this film, but I um, so I, but I watched the trailer um, for it in, in preparation and obviously read a bit about it as well. And just next to it on my notes here, I've put horror film question mark um yes. just watching the trailer schedule ever living out of me um just you know it helps that she has all the white stuff all over her face but just her <laughs> face and <in> her eyes <laughs> we're just like oh my god um i'm in a bit of a fade and away phase at the moment i think because i watched um i watched network for the first time uh, just last weekend and um I've, I've never really i've not watched bonnie and clyde and i've i've have seen chinatown but it's been a long time so i haven't really. Um, Obviously, I know who Faye Dunaway is, and 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 um, how kind of you know revered she is. But uh, I'd never really watched much recently with her in it, and I was completely captivated by her in, in Network. I thought she was incredible in in every single way, um, and that's the film she won her um, won her Oscar for. Um, yeah. So when I was looking at this, I was like, "Oh, great, Faye, Faye Dunaway! I, I maybe I'll maybe I'll put that <laughs> onto my list of films to watch. Um, I might get around to watching it at some point." But yeah, just from watching the trailer and stuff, I was a bit like. Yeah, I probably have to be in a very certain type of mood to watch that yes to watch yes. that yes. film it, Yes, um, you do. <laughs> but uh but yeah i mean just from just from the trailer i can you know i um uh i completely understand what you're saying about her kind of you know giving everybody their their money's worth in their performance i i knew the the wire coat hanger quote um mm. i didn't realize what film it was from and so that was good to to know it was from this one um yeah but uh but yeah no it's uh, i I didn't realize you guys had done it on the on the cherry bombs podcast so yeah definitely anyone who's uh, who's watched that film and um however you feel about it give give that episode a listen um as well um so yeah no good 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 choice definitely
2: um, i can't wait to hear if you do watch it uh i mean there are just some scenes that you'll just never be able to get out of your head once you do um we should say it's I mean, a
1: disturbing you... movie like yeah. you have to go into it with the right yeah mindset like it, it you know it's not it, it's about a horrible subject. Uh-huh. You know, if we're talking about reality, it's about child yes. abuse. It's yeah. awful, and it's right. it's you know you have to make sure that you're aware of that before you start watching it, and you realize it's a film, and this may or may not have happened. Mm-hmm. But if you go into it as a sort of a camp movie and enjoy it on that level, you can also go into it as a serious drama, and it can be really effective. I think because I think it's a really well made movie. It's dark. So you kind of have to have a certain sense of humor about it in order yeah. to enjoy it because it could be really upsetting. So just a little word of warning there about mommy tears.
0: No, yeah, I got my my daughter's only I've I've got two kids and my daughter's only three years old. So um when yeah I I don't think I, I'd maybe wait till she was a little bit more grown up. I think to yeah, watch yeah, it. Yeah. I hit a bit too close to close to home. Yeah. Um, yeah.
2: Well, one thing you can do, too, like, if, you know, like after you're done watching it to like sort of soften the experience is watch it again. But with the John Waters commentary, because yes. that is gold that is okay. pure gold <laughs> and that it's hysterical. Um, that was actually the first time that I watched the movie was because John Waters is a commentary. I don't care what movie it is, I'm going to watch it. And that was how I experienced it first was okay. through through his eyes. So right.
0: OK, then might soften the blow a little
1: bit. Right. Yeah. <laughs>
0: cool okay no i'll give that i'll definitely uh put it on the list to watch out at some point um okay yeah so uh yeah sorry about that so my number five is um i love you philip morris um so this was a um 2010 film um by first-time directors john Requa and glenn ficara um based on a film uh lo- oh, sorry based on a book i love you philip morris a true story of life love and prison breaks and um it stars jim carrey as a guy called stephen russell who was a uh, con man who was in and out of uh in and out of prison um i think it was set during the 80s and 90s i believe maybe yeah, i think so and um ewan mcgregor plays the titular philip morris who um stephen falls in love with when they meet in in prison. Um, so I picked this one because um, I've always loved I've always loved Jim Carrey. Um, I, I was a huge. I was kind of I suppose I was about kind of eight, eight nine years old when um, kind of The Mask and Dumb and Dumber and the Ace Ventura films came out. So I thought he was an absolute comedy genius. Um, and yeah, I've just always anything that he's ever been in. I haven't watched all of his films, but anything he's ever been in, I always um, kind of make sure I try to watch at some point um they play obviously they play uh gay characters in the film um and it's just it's just got that right balance between because it's it's a crazy story it's one of those you know if it hadn't have happened in real life you probably couldn't have made it up um and it's just got that great mix of comedy um you know anyone who loved phil um jim carrey just because of his his films like ace Ventura will love it because he does a lot of amazing Jim Carrey pratfalls in it and um you know he's very funny but those who love him as a as a dramatic actor as well which which I do um Truman show is definitely one of my my favorite films um he's he's, he's amazing in it as well he does some great um he's got a couple of really really emotional uh scenes in that film and um and yeah Hugh McGregor is is, is brilliant uh, as Philip Morris as well um I did Listen to a little um interview with with Ewan McGregor um about the film and he um obviously he's a very Scottish actor who's playing a um who's playing a character from a gay character from Alabama so his you know his own voice and accent and demeanor and everything is completely different from who Ewan McGregor is but he just he was very serious in wanting to make sure that you know um he played this part in a way that wasn't um wasn't like a cliche it was very honest about who the person was and and about the love story between um uh yeah philip morris and stephen russell um and it is and it is a a love story as well you know it's it's they they they're quite romantic in the film um you know and um it's just really i think it's just really really well done um and yeah just a good mix of laugh out loud comedy but also um also very emotional as well so, and one of probably a very unseen film it wasn't it wasn't quite a um, it wasn't a bomb at the at the box office so it was the budget was 13 million and it made 20.7 so it did make a it did make a profit but probably still not kind of widely seen um, uh, I think it was quite like, quite well appreciated by the critics but um, probably not seen as as much as it, it could have been um, so yeah quite an underrated film definitely an underrated you um, McGregor and and jim carrey performances i think jim carrey especially and um yeah so i just i kind of that was another reason for picking it just to maybe put it out there for anyone who might be listening just to um just to yeah check it out it's um it's you know it's a very it's a very different story it's a it's a very original one even though it's something that actually happened um and yeah i think anyone who watches it would um would really would really love it actually jen um every romcom. if you if you're listening to this it's um maybe um Maybe not quite a rom-com, but it's um, it's definitely got a lot of romance and comedy in it. So, yeah, it might be one that you might want to check out and, and um, look into at some point. Um, so, yeah, that was my, my number five. I love you, Philip Morris. Do you guys – have you guys seen this one?
1: Well, I had never seen this movie uh, until I saw it on your list, and so I watched it yesterday.
0: Oh, great. Okay.
1: And I loved
0: it. Oh, brilliant.
1: Absolutely loved it. It was – it totally caught me off guard. I'd heard of it. Mm-hmm. It looked a little – broad for my tastes, which is why I didn't initially see it. It looked, it looked like you said, it looked like it was a little bit stereotypical, a little yes. bit broad. Yeah. I, thought, I don't know. That movie just might make me um, mad if it was just this really kind of like um, caricatured version of gay characters. Yeah. Cause you know, I don't, I, I, I don't like caricatures when it comes to that sort of stuff. And so I resisted it, but I wanted to look at it so we could talk about it today. And now I, I absolutely loved it. I think actually, that uh when you mentioned it as a romantic comedy, I actually think I think that's a perfect description of it. It's an incredibly romantic movie. Mm-hmm. It like really it's enjoy. one of the more romantic movies I've ever seen because you've got a a character that is so in love, the Jim Carrey character is so in love with the Ewan McGregor character that he goes to the most insane extremes to be with him. Yeah. And that's kind of what I mean most romantic movies are about, is like keeping the the lovers apart. And that battle for them to get together. It's kind of, I th- i thought, like, as I was watching, I was thinking that it was sort of on on a, a higher level, like, really about the kind of cultural and societal and legal barriers that try to keep same-sex couples apart. Even to this day, it's yep. still happening. Mm-hmm. And then that fight, that endless fight to overcome those obstacles. And this, yep. like, movie perfectly perfectly personifies that that battle. I absolutely loved it. Ewan McGregor was amazing I was really impressed with his performance and Jim Carrey you're right perfect combination of like uh comedy carry and drama carry like you yeah. get both of what he does best
0: you seen this one yourself Nick
1: no and I'm so glad you brought that up because that
2: was one that I always wanted to see but I, I had forgotten about so I'm really glad that you're both talking about that um I wrote it down um so I can uh, I can catch up on it as soon as possible but uh yeah, no, I've always wanted to see it, though. But and I'm so intrigued now because you both just loving it so much. So, uh,
0: so yeah, do you want to go on to your um, fifth pick?
2: Sure. So my fifth pick is I, Tanya, uh, starring Margot Robbie um, and Sebastian Stan. Now, my, my history with Margot is the first time I saw her was in Wolf of Wall Street. Um, and, I mean, to me, she's the most gorgeous woman on the planet. For many reasons, um, and uh, especially from that movie, and uh, so I remember that, uh, I actually got we actually got to see her in person, and she is just as beautiful as she is in the movie as she is in real life, um, because uh, Dusty and I went to AFI Fest, and they were doing the um, uh, what was that, the indie panel, right? Isn't that what that was called? Yeah, yeah, indie contenders panel, panel. (laughs) yes, the indie contenders panel, and then um. And and, uh, and Margo was there, so we got to see a clip of of uh, Tanya at that time, and um. But what I really liked about Iatania is that, you know, because I mean I'm I'm old enough to remember the you know the attack on Nancy Kerrigan when it when it happened and the news and everything like that. But but here's a here's a biopic on on essentially the villain, which is fascinating to me, right? Because we're going to have a movie of the villain, someone who is just. You know kicked out of sports not like you know was part of something just absolutely horrendous um you know just just to to win um and so um and that's what i really liked about this because you know margo is fantastic in this movie um uh i mean the so is the supporting cast of course but um but the question is that you know can you have uh, a biopic starring the villain and somehow feel empathy towards him because you know she did not come from a happy home you know she's forced to skate she's forced to win so you know can you you know by the end of the movie feel something for her can you be like oh man you know yeah she did bad you know but but you know can you feel it? i still don't know i still don't know um because eventually i mean you know, the, the situation obviously did happen. Um, but of course, you know, nobody's perfect. Um, and, you know, your upbringing can, you know, force you to do some crazy things sometimes. But I just find that interesting that a biopic, you know, again, the st- starring the villain, which you normally don't see in those types of things. Usually it's a, you know, rags to riches type of a story, um, you know, something of that usually with biopics or something like that. But um, But, yeah, that's why I like this one.
1: Yeah, I really like this movie, too. Um, I didn't love it, but I liked it a lot. I liked the interview, inter- the interspersed interview kind of documentary style of it. Um, I always like movies that do that. Um, sort of like uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous did something similar to that. A lot of the Christopher Guest movies are like that. Um, but Allison Janney was amazing, mm-hmm. and Margaret Robbie's good. She's always good. She's one of the. I think she's one of the best actresses out there right now. She doesn't get a lot of credit like Charl- Charlize Theron tends to not get a lot of credit for what a good actress she is just because they're both so beautiful. And of course the, the, you know, people just see that, but they're incredible, incredible actors. Mm-hmm. Um, I always, yeah, I liked it a lot. I was a big fan of it when it came out. I haven't seen it since I saw it in the theater, but I do own it. And, uh, and it makes me kind of want to look at it again now.
0: Yeah. I, um, <clears throat> I watched it with my, with my mom actually, um, on, uh, on DVD. And, um, yeah I, I i thought it was great too um i think margot robbie was yeah was incredible i really enjoyed the the interspersed uh kind of real um interviews as well um i think one of the things i just found hilarious because I, I i saw so is i just looked up his name a minute ago paul walter hauser um who plays sean eckhart who's a bodyguard yeah. friend of jeff gelluli i saw him in um black clansman probably around about the same time um, yeah, and he just right. his oh god i mean when i was watching it, i was like there's no way that that guy could have could have been like, could have been like that and then you see the interview with him it's like exactly the same and his character in black clansman is kind of similar as well um, he plays a
1: certain type of character very well
0: very very well very very well and um yeah no so i, I loved him in it that was Again, it's another one of those films that was probably a lot more comedic than I thought it was going to be. Um, I did. There was a couple of kind of real laugh out loud moments in that. I thought Sebastian Stan was great. Kind of um, quite um, maybe underplayed in that. I thought that was that was really good. But yeah, Alison Janney was was incredible as well. And I think I think when you get to that scene at the end, when all the reporters and stuff were outside um, Tonya's apartment and her mum walks in. And you think that she's, you know, um, being nice to her for the first time in her life and consoling her and being a real mom and everything. And then it turns out she's got a wire on her or something or trying to, you know, trying to get a scoop to get some money Mm. from her daughter and stuff. I think, you know, no matter what your opinions of maybe were before, while you've been watching the film, you just kind of your heart does break a little bit for for Tonya at that point, I think. Um, But but yeah, I think a real interesting um, telling of the story um, Margot Robbie, I think this was really... Because I'm pretty sure she produced the film as well. She was quite heavily involved in the making of it.
2: Yeah, she did, yeah. And yeah. Sebastian Stan, you know, too, he's he's one that's also I think is very underrated because that guy's like a chameleon because yeah. we just finished watching a, a couple months ago the uh, Pam and Tommy uh-huh. yeah. um, show, and he was just fantastic in there as well. I mean, so he's he's really quite the chameleon actor.
1: Yeah, definitely. Definitely.
0: Um, no, I always, I always like him in anything. He's in um so yeah no i think i thought that was a great choice as well as well nick i, I really enjoyed um yeah definitely enjoyed that film and i would need to see it again um and yeah completely agree with you about margot robbie in, in every way as well that was my first um exposure to her in in the wolf of wall street in the cinema as well and it was one of those real Defining moments, probably. <laughs> As yeah. You know, that's a, like a that's like a Cameron Diaz entrance into the mask. You know what I mean? That's what yeah. I'm exactly. Exactly.
2: Invoice. And 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 Margot even gave me the the most kindest no to an autograph request, but it was all right because she talked to me. So I was I was very happy with that.
1: Oh, amazing!
0: Well, you spoke to her. That's that's you know. Yes
2: that that was that was all right. Yes.
0: Yeah, I've been rejected by Margot Robbie. You can say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, cool. Yeah. Amazing. Um Dustin, unless you have anything else to say about I, Tonya, do you want to go on to your, your fourth one?
1: Sure. Yeah. So my number four um, is uh, 2018's Bohemian Rhapsody, uh, directed by Brian Singer, who, of course, directed The Usual Suspects and X-Men and Apt Pupil, with an additional two weeks or so shot by Dexter Fletcher, who did Eddie the Eagle and, and the Elton John biopic Rocket Man. Um, Of course, it's about Freddie Mercury, who really should need no introduction. And it follows the formation of Queen up through the live aid concert. Now, I was very skeptical when I first saw the trailer for this movie. I was kind of, when I heard they were making a Freddie Mercury movie, I was hoping for a gritty, realistic, sort of indie style movie about Freddie's life that really explored his um, personal life, like his excesses, I guess, the wilder side in a very adult kind of way. But the trailer looked like it was going to be this glossy, old-fashioned Hollywood take, very stylized, lots of big-budget camera moves, like, you know, very uplifting, feel-good kind of movie. And I was kind of turned off by that. But I still went to the first screening, opening day, Chinese Theater on Hollywood Boulevard. And when I saw it, that's exactly what it was, a big, glossy, old-fashioned Hollywood biopic. And I realized that... Despite that, I absolutely loved it for what it was. Um, I think there's definitely room to do the other version, super micro-budget maybe, like independent of a major studio uh, or streamer. And probably without Queen's cooperation or without the music, if you really want to do that story, they're not going to sign off on it. So they're not going to sign off on the music. I know that's more the version that Sasha Baron Cohen wanted to do when he was attached to Play Friday in the mm-hmm. early days of it. I'd still love to see that version. But what we got, I love from day one. Um, I know there's some backlash against this movie. A lot of people say it's uh, sanitized Freddy sexuality. But I think it's more like, I feel like it more like generalized those things. Yeah. We see moments like him walking through a sex club or him following a trucker into a bathroom, that sort of thing. Suggestions of what's going on, but nothing explicit. And that's a choice, I guess. I think it still works in this case for the kind of movie that they were making. It's doesn't bother me as a gay man it doesn't bother me there's room for all kinds of approaches I think in these kinds of movies there's movies that will go there and there's movies that will pull back a little bit Um, but I think any visibility is good and the fact that this is a mainstream PG-13 Hollywood movie means that some kid in Oklahoma got to see it that wouldn't have otherwise and they don't feel so alone anymore so there's value in making a movie about a story like this that is a PG-13, or right down the middle uh, movie that, that can sort of sneak in to the places where these kinds of stories wouldn't normally find a home. Um, Rami Malek won an Oscar for playing Freddy. He's amazing, totally channels him. He's equally good in like the quiet moments and then on stage in front of hundreds of thousands of people. Uh, it does sort of pass the squint test. You know, if you squint, you feel like you're kind of watching Freddy <laughs> as an excellent supporting cast. Uh, Lucy Boynton. Gwillem Lee is fantastic and I think really underrated in this movie is Brian May. Uh, yes. Ben Hardy is Roger Taylor. Joseph Mazzello is John Deacon. And of course we all, maybe not the first time I didn't even realize it until what halfway through the movie that Joseph Mazzello was a little kid from Jurassic Park. So that that's like a nice little... Bonus that you get out of the movie is to see him all grown up. Mm-hmm. Um, Aiden Gillen plays John Reed, the the band's manager. He I remember him from way back on the the, the Channel Four, I think, uh, Queers Folk, the British yes. Queers Folk, yep. and he was really amazing in that. People probably maybe know him best now from Game of Thrones, and uh, he was in the very first scene of The Dark Knight Rises yeah. as the CIA guy. Yeah, very good. Mike actor. Myers.
0: Very, very um, very sorry, just just a drop. Sorry, I do apologize. Aiden Gillen always thought very. I, I, I'm not sure what happened in his career. Like, you know, obviously he's had a good career, but I always thought he was maybe destined for more um, more kind of Hollywood films or um, maybe to make it a bit more in, in movie making. You know, I think he's such a good actor.
1: I was thinking the same thing. It's like what well, he's such a good actor, but he's always sort of playing small roles or a pop-up in a cameo or a supporting role or something like that. But he does seem like he should be a lead, a lead in, in big stuff. Yeah. He's really good. Yeah, definitely. There's a Mike Myers uh, appearance. He plays an EMI executive, which is a little nod, I guess, towards Wayne's world. Uh, maybe maybe a little on the nose, but still, it's, it's a nice scene. Yep. Um, it was mostly directed by Brian Singer, who I really strongly believe deserves the credit and rarely gets it because of the personal issues in the behind-the-scenes drama that was going on during that movie, um, which for me, that's separate from the movie. It's like yep. your personal life, your trouble, whoever you are. Um, you know, I think we'd all agree Harvey Weinstein is monstrous, but it doesn't mean that I'm gonna throw all the Miramax movies on my shelf uh-huh. shelf in the trash. Yeah. It's two separate things: the art and the artist. Um, I guess he didn't get along with Rami Malek on the movie. There's some tension, things like that. But um, he was fired a couple of weeks before the end of the shoot, and Dexter Fletcher came in to just kind of shoot a couple of scenes. I think I can't remember what stuff he shot, but it wasn't tremendous amount. John Ottman uh, edited the movie mm-hmm. and I think he I feel like John Ottman probably took the reins over more because he's also ha- had directed things. Yeah. Um, so uh, and his editing is fantastic. There's a great energy to the movie, great rhythm to the editing. That opening montage uh, with somebody to love playing is probably like one of my favorite sequences in any movie in the last mm-hmm. 10 years. And uh, yeah, it's beautifully shot by Newton Thomas Siegel, who also shot Nicholas Reference, Gorgeous Drive. Right. Uh, yeah. Very showy, sometimes very technical, lots of complex visual, heavy camera visual effects, like heavy camera moves. But that almost makes it feel like an old Hollywood musical, which works for this movie. Um, what else? Uh, oh, one last interesting thing I want to mention that I, I feel like on my first viewing was frustrating to me, but then I realized what the thinking behind it was, was that it feels through the whole movie like we're only getting little snippets of songs through the whole thing. And after a while, it starts to get frustrating because you want to hear the songs. You want to hear more. Like, why do they keep cutting the songs off so soon? And then at the end, you understand why the film was so stingy with the music because we get like a full-blown 20-minute concert. The concert is the climax. It's like the big action set piece of the movie is the Live Aid concert. And by then we're so hungry for a full performance that it's so incredibly satisfying. It's just a really smart structure to the screenplay. So yeah, my only complaint about Bohemian Rhapsody is is that they didn't include anything from the creation of the Flash Gordon soundtrack. I would <laughs> like to see a little Flash in there. But otherwise, yeah, big fan of Bohemian Rhapsody.
0: I think that um, that's... The way that they did it in the storytelling of it to to the live eight gig in the way that you you just mentioned um dustin about kind of yeah only hearing the little bits of the songs coming together through the through the film and then and then having yeah like you say 20 minutes of it um but the the storytelling behind it about how is you know can he actually do it no one knows if he's gonna be able to sing or not the the problems he's having with his throat and um and, uh and as they say in the film is is illness at that time um it just adds to the just the emotional emotional levity of it i think and you know that was an emotional gig anyway one of the most um, obviously famous of all time um uh queen at live aid um but i think that just that as the the crescendo of it i think is just um just so clever the way that they the way that they did that and just the way that they shot it as well you know and anyone listening i'm sure has and has watched the film has probably watched the youtube clip where they they cut the the scene from the film next to the actual um real life performance and and how good that was done um so yeah no i thought that was that was great storytelling um yeah i loved it as well it was good i liked the fact that it wasn't a musical um um and the the way that they put together put it together the structure of it i thought rami malek was almost uncanny um as uh as um, Freddie Mercury I would have liked to have seen Sasha Baron Cohen I think when I when I originally heard that he was cast as as Freddie Mercury I thought that, that being that sounds incredible that sounds like so spot on um just yeah just this kind of um quirky <laughs> quirky actor playing this this obviously very um amazing talent but had his had his quirks as well um I thought it would have been would have been amazing and and like you say yeah maybe maybe we'll see that performance at some point um but yeah, I absolutely loved it. Um, Supporting cast were, were great as well. That Mike Myers one, yeah, completely on the nose. I think he even it's in his line something along the lines of that that won't get teenagers nodding their heads yeah. in the car or something. So yeah, completely yeah, yeah. on the nose. Um, but yeah, no, I I think uh, I think an amazing choice, definitely. Um, did you watch this one, Nick? Did you watch this one with Dustin when when he went to see it?
2: No, I wasn't with him when he when he saw. Boy, I think he saw it like a few times before. I think I got to the to my to my first viewing um but uh no i mean i i loved it i mean i completely also agree with you i would have loved to have seen um a sasha baron cohen version i mean obviously that's going to be night and day different kind of movie completely i mean that's going to be you know a a hard r type version that he was going to make um so I mean, I would have been I would have been interested in, into seeing that, um, but no, I mean I, I I did I did really really like it. It's hard not to, especially if you're a Queen fan, not to um, enjoy that. And I also agree with Dusty that I wish they would have had some Flash Gordon stuff in there. That would have been would have been nice. Um, but uh, no, I thought the I thought the performances were great. Um, I mean, Freddie's just just absolutely fascinating individual, and shockingly enough. Um, It's one of my mother's favorite movies, one that she watches more than, I mean, which which is very unusual for her because my mother is just mainly an action uh, movie fan. So for her to like this and like it so much that she watches it more than once is is just mind-blowing to me.
0: So my number four film is uh, The Damned United, uh, which was released in 2009, and it tells the story of... um, Brian Clough, uh, uh, football manager, uh, soccer manager. So, in time, I'll say that football manager, um, who was the manager of um, Leeds United for an ill-fated—I'm pretty sure it was 44 days—in um, the in the 1970s. Um, story kind of behind it was that he, um, so he was the manager of a team called Derby County. Uh, Derby County came up into. Uh, The old Division 1, which is now the the Premier League, um, and started competing, started going up and up the league. And at that time, Leeds United were at the top of the league, winning all the domestic trophies, but had a reputation for being quite a dirty team. And um, uh, Brian Clough always kind of coached his teams to play really good football. And yeah, so it was the kind of the, competi- the competitive nature between the two teams, but also the um, the managers, Don Revy of Leeds United and um, Brian Clough of, of Derby County. Eventually it got to a point where he got sacked by the um, by the chairman of Derby County. And then Don Revy went on to be the manager of England, the England football team, and Brian Clough got the Leeds United job. Um, and he'd constantly been... Kind of, you know, saying negative things about Leeds United in the uh, in the press while he was manager of du- of um, <laughs> Dustin. <laughs> I saw your name, manager of Dustin, when he was the manager of, of Derby County, and um, and yeah, so it's that kind of, you know, there's just lots of tension between him and the and the players and the staff at um, at uh, at Leeds. So um, it's based on a novel of that um, of that called The Dam United, written by David Peace, um, and it takes the point of view of of brian clough at that point um during that tumultuous time um and then yeah was written was adapted for the screen by by peter morgan who's I, was also one of the um i think he was also a screenwriter or wrote part of the story for bohemian rhapsody as well um and it was directed by tom hooper um who also directed um les mis as well brian clough is played by michael sheen the the welsh actor who's just you know you want a good actor to play a real-life person he's one of the best people to go to he's played David Frost he's played Tony Blair um, played a lot of real-life characters very well um, and has an excellent supporting cast in it as well Con Meany, Timothy Spall, Jim ben Stephen Graham, Martin Compston. Um, it was a it was a bomb at the at the box office it was a budget of ten million ten million pounds and made, a, a, a made back at the box office only 4.1 I think i mean really this is a film that should have been made for tv i think it's not quite um you wouldn't initially look at it and think it was cinematic um football i think is something that is very hard to portray cinematically um there's been a couple of of good football films not not that many um but i really like this film i think and it's all about michael sheen i think his performance makes just takes it up a completely different level, takes the story up a different level, makes it cinematic um, it's so Brian Clough, Brian Clough was such a big personality and he he um, he just hits a great impression of Brian Clough but it's not just that, he's got the nuances he's got the um, all the kind of psychological things and um, down as well and you just really know the struggle that, that he's going through um, personally during this time and um, yeah he just uh, elevates it to a level where yeah it is a cinematic story to tell not just one for as a tv movie nothing crazy or elaborate about the about the direction of it it's it's a very it's a well-made film um but it's just something as a big football fan it's just something i really enjoyed especially just having an interest in brian clough i've seen i've read the book and i've also seen it on stage as well the damned united and um the film i think is just is is by far the best um version of it um telling a um quite niche story but very very well and um and yeah just i think everything goes to um to michael sheen he completely steals the film um some funny bits in there and um it's another film that i suppose similar to i tonya but they do a lot of film versions of interviews and um kind of you know he's got he was one for just amazing quotes and stuff so um one of his best ones was um uh muhammad ali was on a um was being interviewed by somebody and um he was in the uk and he was saying i keep i keep hearing about this guy brian clough brian clough everyone keeps talking to me about. It. he says he talks more than i do and all this kind of thing so he's like clough i've had enough stop it and then someone turns to him and says are you gonna stop it brian he goes no i'm gonna fight him um so he came <laughs> up with things like that um and all those things <laughs> all those things are integrated into the film really well um talking about his big head thing his one of his other ones was um he said i wouldn't say i was the uh the best manager in in the uh in the english football but i'm definitely in the top one um so he's (laughs) um so yeah very a very cinematic character i think um so yeah i think anyone who hasn't watched it definitely definitely give it a try it's a i think it's only about an hour and hour and a half hour and 40 minutes just really well made like i say great supporting cast in it as well and and it's just worth watching It uh, just worth watch for for Michael Sheen's amazing performance in it as well. So uh, so yeah, The Down United number number four for me.
1: Well, I'm one of the ones that haven't seen it. That's that's a movie that. Yeah, I haven't have seen it either. Seen. Yeah, I've heard of it, but I never saw it. I love Michael Sheen. I love Colm Meaney and Jim Broadbent and Timothy Spall. It's had a great cast. Yeah, and, right. Um, Tom Hooper. I didn't realize Tom Hooper directed it. I really liked. Uh, his lame is. I I I I know he directed King's Speech with which people always bag on a lot because they didn't feel like it should have won Best Picture, because there's more edgy movies that could have won, maybe true. But I always liked the King's Speech anyways. Um
0: Yeah, I like I like King's speech too, yeah.
1: Yeah. He also directed Cats. Didn't he just direct cats recently? So yeah. he's kind of on a, a downswing <laughs> maybe. Yeah. A lot, of backstage, but,
0: a lot of backstage stuff from that one as well, apparently. Um <laughs> to Brian Singer in, in Bohemian Rhapsody.
1: Heard. Oh, yeah. I'd love to hear those stories. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's soccer. Well, they call it soccer, of course, over here, football over there. This is the one sport I actually played in my entire life was soccer. Okay. So I'm curious uh, to see it. I, I haven't seen too many soccer movies. There's really not, You're right. There's not really a lot of movies out there about that subject. There's a lot more like American football movies, but yep. soccer – um, there's uh, Shaolin Soccer I saw which I loved, and uh, otherwise it's like kids movies like The Big Green and yeah. I think Nick wasn't there, was it Ladybugs with Ladybugs like, with Dangerfield. Uh, Ronnie Dangerfield. That's the only one I
2: was gonna say that I think I've seen. Yeah, <laughs> wasn't Jonathan Brandis in there? Jonathan like... Brandis. Yeah, yeah they had
1: to, he had to dress up like a girl to play on the girls' team or something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. A long way from the damn United.
0: Escaped, Escape <laughs> to victory. Have you guys seen that or heard of that one?
1: Escape to Victory? No, no I've heard of Mm-mm. Victory with I think Pele and Sylvester Stallone oh, from victory. the early. Sorry, 80s.
0: apologies. Yeah, it's it's called the, it's called Escape to Victory over here. Obviously, it's
1: it's called victory ah, okay. in America. But
0: yeah, that that one, yeah, very very bizarre cast in that one. Sylvester Stallone, Michael Caine, Pele, um, John Bork, <laughs> um, yes, uh, Max Fant- Max von Sydow. Um, oh yeah, my gosh! But, well, now I have to see <laughs> that. those are like
1: those are some incredible. That's an incredible mix of people. Indeed. Right. Indeed.
0: Yeah, but um yeah no good it, you know if you guys get the chance to, to watch it it's definitely worth worth a watch you'll probably know what i'm saying when i say it's like you know it could have easily been made for, for tv but um yeah michael sheen's incredible and um you don't really need to know much about the the subject beforehand it's um it's one of those films that which is actually similar to a film i'm going to talk about a little bit later on myself um it's one of those ones where you know even if you just have a very limited knowledge of of football um it won't really matter. Like, you know, my, I've, I watched the film with my wife. My, me and my wife went to watch the, the stage play as well. And, um, you know, she absolutely loved both as well. So it's uh, it's one of those ones that just, you, you'll you'll know what it's about, you'll pick up. You don't need to have any real um, knowledge beforehand, really. So, so yeah, no, I highly, highly recommend it to anyone who hasn't seen it.
1: That's great. I mean, like, the, the the notion of, like, movies that should be made for TV versus movies that should be made for, for the theater, like, um, I totally get that. Like, I understand I always feel though like like you can make a small story like the damn United, and when you put it on a you know seventy foot movie screen, it's just as impactful, uh, sometimes more than a big Marvel movie or something, mm-hmm. because you're still going out and you're getting you know hopefully I know it's not as 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 big of a thing now going to a movie theater. I hope it continues to be a thing that we can do, yeah. but, um, to go to a movie theater and sit with an audience of people and see the story projected on this giant screen. And suddenly these incredibly intimate moments become, uh, so much more affecting than if you're just watching it off of TV. So I, I always try to see these kinds of movies in the theater as much as I possibly can. And I'm glad that, that they made a story like this for cinemas, um, and not just for TV. Cause if it goes to TV or even if it goes to streaming sometimes it kinda of just gets lost in the shuffle. Yeah. And when you get a big theatrical release, people take it more seriously and it's given a lot more um respect. So I definitely yeah, I'm definitely interested in seeing this movie.
0: Cool. No, that's that's amazing. Um Nick, do you want to go into your number four?
1: sure so
2: my number four is the founder with the great michael keaton um i'm a huge fan of keaton um i think he's been you know proving himself that he can do everything from you know comedy to to drama um and uh so i was i was, I was completely not expecting uh this movie to to go the way that it does um because it talks about the story of you know ray Kroc and you know his his uh you know his connection to mcdonald's and you know when you know when i'm watching this movie i'm thinking like you know you're, you're trying to root for him right because he's struggling at the beginning and you want him to succeed and be like all right this is the guy that's gonna you know do mcdonald's and you you find out that you know he becomes this you know sort of this evil person and you you go from rooting for him to going oh oh no this isn't the guy i should be rooting for anymore um so, uh, so yes, yeah, so that's that's why I kind of I really like this one. It was just uh, an interesting performance where it's just the slow, the slow change from uh, from rooting for him to hating him by the time the movie by the time the movie ends, and um, you know, with also like great performances by you know Nick Offerman, who you usually don't see in a role like this, um, you know, as one of the brothers that uh, you know own the McDonalds uh, beforehand. Um, but uh yeah just one was those, like those movies that unfortunately didn't I don't think it got the attention that it deserved I felt like it kind of came in and, and, and left awfully quickly um, but uh, I mean I think you know Keaton. Uh, you know it' was possibly another opportunity for Keaton to be nominated um you know it didn't I mean that I think the I think the I think they almost broke even on the budget for that movie too because I think the budget was like around 25 million and I think that's almost what it made um so I I think it was uh you know underestimated um but uh but yeah that was that was you know one of the reasons I liked it was just because it was something that I didn't expect I expected it just to be uh you know rags to riches story and and it was but just not in the in the traditional sense it was just you're 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 rooting for them until you're not and you know you feel guilty that, that you were you know on his side for you know three quarters of the film, um, until it doesn't go the way that it should. So, um, but again, you know it's Michael Keaton. Um, always been a big fan, and uh, so yeah, that's why that's why I chose that one.
0: I um, I haven't seen this one, but um, I do remember um, very similar to yourself, Nick, thinking that this was going to be um, the next. Uh, Oscar nomination for um, for Keaton, like half the hills of Birdman, and um, you know, continuing his I don't want to call it a comeback, but continuing his um, maybe increased relevancy or increased um, people people knowing about him. Um, and yeah, I remember just wanting to see it, but I think it was just one of those things that, like you just said, it just it came and it went really, really quickly. Um, and I don't think yeah. I've ever seen it. Um, I don't think I've. I'm not sure where it is on on any type of streaming service or anything like that. Um, but I haven't seen it kind of pop up as an option. I've just never thought to, to search for it anywhere. But when I saw it on the list, I was like, oh no, I will I will try and um, hunt them one down. I'm sure it's I'm sure it's somewhere to watch. Um, and um, and Nick Offman, yeah, any I haven't watched. Um, I've seen little bits of Parks and, Park and Recreation, but he, um, anytime I see him in a film, I always, I always enjoy him, whatever he's doing in it, if it's, um, like, mainly comedic, but, um, any, um, any kind of dramatic stuff as well, I think he's really good.
2: Um, yeah, he's special. brilliant in Parks and Recs, and it was just, comp- I, like, I didn't even, honest to God, I didn't even recognize him. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even know he was going to be in here. I mean, uh, I, I mean... I think almost until the credits, because I was just like, I was like, he looks familiar, but he because you know he he didn't have any facial hair, yeah. and it was just such a a quiet performance that I I was just blown away that that was Offerman.
0: Yeah, it pops up in *Palm and Tommy* as well.
2: Yeah. Oh, exactly. Yeah, another <laughs> another another great, surprising performance for him in there too. Absolutely.
0: Yeah, but um, but yeah, no, there's definitely one I want to watch. I'm a big fan of of uh, Michael Keaton as well. Just one of those actors that can do um absolutely anything, and and probably is good in anything he's in no matter how um the, the film is he's
2: he's always uh, right he's always good whether it's good or bad right definitely. yeah exactly
0: yeah, exactly beetlejuice is a is probably a bit of a love-hate film for me i've watched it quite a few times and i can be mixed on how i feel about it sometimes but he i he just is always um just incredible anything any scenes that he's in um but yeah no looking forward to, to catching this one definitely
1: Great. yeah i was uh, i was a big fan of it um it's a, it's a it's a really good little movie. It's a little movie, certainly. Um, and you're right, it did kind of come and go. There was some awards buzz around Keaton. But I really liked it. And like, like you said, Nick, I like that you sort of like him for about half the movie and you're kind of rooting for him. And then you realize that he's kind of turning sour and he's kind of being consumed with his ambition and greed. And he becomes the villain in the movie and it kind of becomes this sort of, uh, you know... Uh, a movie about how big business kills off the mom and pop shops and things like that. And it sneaks yeah. up on you. It sneaks up on yeah. you. And I of course love Michael Keaton. I've always loved him. Loved him as far back as like Mr. Mom and stuff like that. I loved him in Beetlejuice and and it's, he's still my Batman. He's still my favorite
2: Batman. <laughs> he's always the Batman, yes. <laughs> you know, I didn't even realize too like the the founder too as much is is very similar to Itania in that obsession to win is you know, is is the theme in those things too, right? Mm-hmm. It's it 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 consumes both of them. Uh, obviously, different endings for both of them, right? One one, you know, gets eliminated from sports, and then th- this one makes him, you know, you know, rich beyond his wildest dreams.
1: But I love that last shot though of the founder where he's about, he's going to go give a speech, you know, to celebrate how wonderful he is and how successful he is, and he's rehearsing the speech in front of the mirror. And there's just a moment when he's rehearsing the speech. We, it's not articulated in dialogue, but you see on his face a little bit of self-awareness, and he realizes he's he's a thief. He realizes he's become the bad guy, and there's just a a flash. And again, this is another reason why a small movie like this is great to see on the big screen because you might not even notice that if you are just watching it on a TV, you know, with your cell phone and you know, your kids in the background and stuff like that. But to, to be laser focused in a, on a big screen in a theater, you see that flash of realization on his face that, oh, maybe I went sour here somewhere. And then he quickly clicks back out of it. But there's just that flash where, where it's like he gets that maybe he's not the good guy anymore. And that's the, that's the moment that I remember the most from this film. All right, so my number three pick uh, is going to be 1996's uh, Milos Forman directed The People versus Larry Flint. Um, it was produced by Oliver Stone, who I'll talk about in more detail a little bit later. Uh, it's, it's about Larry Flint, who was a magazine publisher, uh, pornographer, and ultimately First Amendment uh, freedom of speech champion. Uh, he took a landmark censorship case to the Supreme Court back in the days when the US Supreme Court was still a relatively legitimate institution and he won the case so this is sort of the quintessential american movie it's about um, capitalism and sexual repression and religion and the constitution which is sort of america all in its like messed up nutshell Uh, it stars woody harrelson as larry flint and i think my favorite performance of woody harrelson's he's totally on fire in this he was nominated for an oscar uh, co-stars Courtney Love as his wife, Althea, who he met as an, she, when she was an exotic dancer in one of his clubs. Uh, she's extraordinary in this. She's a total natural. There's nothing actorly about her. She just embodies the role. And I feel like she's just like that in everything she plays, which, in my opinion, not nearly enough. That she didn't get nearly enough work. Off of movies like this, and I think it's because of her reputation. I don't know if there was stuff going on behind the scenes, but I have a feeling it was more reputational than it was actual examples. Because I don't hear any stories from the movies she's worked on about how she was difficult to work with. She's just a really great actress. Uh, in fact, Nick picked Courtney Love. We did a we did an episode. We do special episodes every once in a while. They're off topic of a specific movie, and we did one called "Give an Oscar, Take an Oscar," where for the annual Oscar period we went through every category and we we gave an oscar to an actress or an actor or a director or even the sound categories and the visual effects categories we gave oscars to people that that year that we thought should have been nominated that weren't even nominated and then of course the twist was whoever won that year we had to take it away from so then we had to decide do you want to let them keep their oscar or are you going to take it away and replace and nick picked courtney love that uh, for that uh, for best supporting actress, well deserved. Um, Edward Norton is in it; he plays Larry's lawyer, and he's, as usual, he's great. It was written by two of my favorite screenwriters, Scott Alexander and Larry Karaszewski, who have literally written like every one of the best biopics ever made. I'll talk more about them a little bit later too. Uh, great supporting cast: Crispin Glover, Vincent Schiavelli, James Cromwell. James Carvel, who is amazing, uh, Brett Harrelson, Woody's brother, plays Leary's brother. Um, I saw this movie like a month before its official release, which was the official release day was Christmas Day of all of all days. <laughs> um, I couldn't wait for it to come out. Like after I saw it, I was I, I couldn't wait for it to come out again, so I could just keep going to see it again. And I saw it several times in the theater. And it came kind of at the, just the right time for me because I was really into movies that provoked. Like Natural Born Killers was another one for me made during that time. It's controversial, provoked conversation, made some people angry. I love that. I love movies that get people worked up. Um, the poster tagline for this movie was, you may not like what he does, but are you prepared to give up his right to do it? And kind of associated with that, towards the end of the film, Larry Flint says, if the First Amendment will protect a scumbag like me, It'll protect all of you because I'm the worst, which pretty much sums up the story. That question of what is free speech and how far are we willing to go to protect it? Um, The main bad guy in the movie is the televangelist and moral majority founder, Jerry Falwell, who was also a real guy, sort of the perfect villain because he was pretty much a villain in real life as well. Both of them, really, Larry Flynn and Jerry Falwell are pretty unsavory in their own ways. Um, Larry's a pornographer, which people can have an opinion about that industry, good, bad, or indifferent. And Jay Falwell claimed to be a holy man, but he was just kind of this just judgmental guy that trafficked in hate and bigotry. So you pit these two guys against each other, though, and they're great adversaries. Um, what else? I One thing I'd say, the real achievement of this movie, and credit is due to Milos Forman and to the writers and to Woody Harrelson for this, is that you... Take a pretty despicable character like Larry Flint and the movie actually gets you to root for him. You, you want him to win in the end. He's the underdog. Maybe you may even like him a little, which is a really big hurdle to overcome with a guy like Larry Flint. But um, yeah, it's, just, it's wild that a major studio released a biopic about Larry Flint at all. I think it speaks to the kinds of movies that could get made in the 1990s. I doubt this film could even get made for streaming now. Too controversial. Like too many people would be offended right from the jump. You wouldn't even get into production. As soon as it came out that somebody was doing this, it would be shut down. So we're really lucky to even have this movie.
0: Um, Yeah, another one that I haven't watched, unfortunately. Um, I watched... um... I watched a load of clips from it uh, on on YouTube and did some reading into it. Um, one that I've heard of and, and I've always wanted to watch. I'm a big um, Ed Norton fan, um, and and uh, and Woody Harrelson as well, but um, particularly Ed Norton. And it looks like an amazing performance from um, uh, from Woody Harrelson in it. I, I think I completely agree with you about about Courtney Love. Um, any film I've seen her in, I've, I think she's I think she's amazing. Real kind of presence to her. Um, and yeah, it's probably that, exactly what you just said, Dustin, just that kind of non-actorly aura about her, I suppose. Um, but yeah, yeah. Kind of just it just really makes her jump off the screen, I think. It's very, very real in whoever she whoever she depicts. Um,
1: I, I remember during the air, she was supposed to be, she was going to be in Ghost of Mars for John Carpenter. Mm-hmm. She was cast, and I think the story was the insurance company wouldn't cover her. and they replaced her with Natasha Henstrich. So I always wonder, even though I do kind of like Ghost of Mars, big John Carpenter fan, I do kind of like Ghost of Mars, you know, for what it is. But um, I always wonder what, if you didn't have Natasha Henstrich, if it was Courtney Love's Ghost of Mars, that would have been a completely different movie. Yeah,
2: yeah. I would Um, like to see a version of that for sure. That would be fun.
0: Um. But yeah, another one just for the for the watch list, I think, and and probably one that I would um, seek out a bit quicker than the Mommy Dearest, I'd say. Um, <laughs> but um, but yeah, no, it's more um, fun than Mommy Dearest. I well, yeah, I shouldn't say
1: that; they're both fun in their own ways.
0: Yeah, I really enjoyed the scene. Um, so again, I watched a few clips, but I really enjoyed the scene at the Supreme Court uh, when Ed Norton's kind of like bantering a little bit with the with the Supreme Justices. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just kind of the um, the side looks and the and the gestures between. Um, woody harrelson and the uh the televangelist uh, yeah. character as well um, there's a
1: great moment in that scene when ed norton uh fumbles his dialogue yes which comes across as if he really did fumble the dialogue and miller forman left it in because the character would be nervous in that moment
0: i picked up on that yeah yeah no that's i love that kind of thing being being left in there um yeah no that it, it definitely one that I, I will watch um are you a fan of this one as well nick
2: yeah absolutely i mean absolutely i love this movie um i mean it's uh it was one that i watched on the plane visiting my brother in seattle a couple of months ago which i always find funny because you know it's gonna disrupt anybody else that's gonna try to like peek over your shoulder um <laughs> but i but i love it um i mean i i i'm i'm on the side of uh, larry flint of course um but uh yeah, and as he said, you know, Larry and Scott being some of the best writers in the business uh, for this. Um, I mean, it had everything, just everything I liked. I liked the, you know, the underdog, uh, the uh, the performances, the cast is just absolutely amazing. Um, you know, and it, it's true, it's just one of those things where it's like, yeah, you might not like what somebody else does, but, you know, are you willing to give up your right to, you know, to stop somebody like that? And, uh, but, uh, yeah it's it's just a fantastic movie um i i wish that uh you know courtly love would, would do more things because she's obviously proven that she can she can act um and of course woody harrelson is always fantastic even in you know much like keaton like even if the movie's not that great woody harrelson is usually you know fantastic um but yeah it's, it's one of my favorites as well though for sure
0: yeah yeah definitely and um I think Woody Harrelson is in the um, the French film that just won the Palm d'Or, I think, um, as well. So I think he's like the only American star that's in it. Um, so it might be worth giving that a watch when it when it's kind of available. I can't remember what it's called off the top of my head right now, but I know that he he's actually in it. So um,
1: I love that he makes such bold choices, like yeah. Ashbourne Killers and Larry Flint, and yeah. and you know he's been in he's been in obviously he's in Solo. So he'll do big movies and then he'll do these teeny tiny little movies. And he, he's great in everything. And the fact that he came, basically came from a TV sitcom playing the dumb guy. and he, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he was great in that, playing that role. But it's so easy to get typecast in those kind of roles. Right. And yeah. he is a real success story.
0: Definitely. Um, one film that I, I have watched... Many, many, many times. I was thinking about it when I put it on the list. Actually, that this might be one of the films that I've watched the most in in my life. Uh, and I remember watching this one in the cinema with my mum and dad as well. Is um, is Apollo thirteen, which is number three on on my list. Um, I think it made such an impression on me when I first watched it because I would have been nine years old, and I think anything a film that so um, realistically depicts what it's like to be in space is gonna is gonna really captivate. Um, yeah kind of anyone at that age even if you don't but then also the story behind it is so um it's just so amazing as well and what they actually did to to get them home and um so yeah i just remember being just really captivated by it when i watched it in the in the cinema and yeah i've just watched it many i think it's just one of those re, totally rewatchable films you could just go into at any point it's like oh this scene's coming up or that scene's coming up or um yeah, anything's just about to happen. So I th- I think it's amazing. Um, so Ron Howard directed it. Obviously stars Tom Hanks as as Jim Lovell, um, Bill Paxton and Kevin Bacon play Fred Hayes and Jack Swagger respectively, who are his um, co-pilots, um, team that are on Apollo thirteen. Um, that was meant to go to to the moon. They um, suffered a huge, uh, huge problem on their on their ship. Which um, then led to the the famous, the famous line of "Houston, we have a problem," um, and it was then uh, Ed Harris playing Gene Kranz and his huge team back in in Houston um, who had to um, to try and figure out how to how to get them home. I think there's just so much there's just so much in this film to, to enjoy. It's, it's based on a it's based on a real event. It's, um, you know, it's it's quite. Um, I wouldn't say it's amazingly America flag-waving, but it's definitely got that to it. So I think any kind of, like, you know, um, real, um, yeah, kind of patriotic person's going to love it for for those bits that are in there as well. Um, Tom Hanks fans are going to love it for the, you know, his his great performance in it too. It's got those... I just love the bits in it where they have to figure out how to um, put a square peg in a round hole to get the carbon dioxide to go down. Just I love I love scenes like that in films where it's just you have to fix stuff and do things. Um I just yeah, I just I think it's just a a really easy watch. A really really rewatchable film. Very emotional, very um very tense. Um obviously there's some scenes at the end where you don't know if they've well, of course you know if they've made it back in or not, but you're so engrossed in the film it's, you know, are they gonna make it back? Um, so, so yeah I absolutely I um, absolutely love this film um, budget of 52 million box office 355 so an absolutely um, huge uh, box office smash um, I was just I was really thinking about it I didn't re-watch this film for, for this but I I'm, 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 you know I tend to watch it every once every couple of years or so so I'm definitely gonna watch it and it might be one of those films that I'll first show to my son actually as well he's um, he's done um, space as a as a topic at at school recently and he you know he was teaching me things i i didn't know about um you know some of the apollo missions and he knew all about buzz aldrin neil armstrong and um the third guy that was in there who was name i can't remember right now um and uh yeah so i i, I think yeah it's something I, i'd really like to watch with with him soon um and um yeah i was thinking about it and i was like i think this might be my favorite ron howard film and also i think it might be my personal favorite ed harris performance as well i think i think the the more i've watched it the more i've appreciated ed harris's performance is it's very um it's very clipped you know he's a very he has to be very kind of you know um unemotional very much kind of you know from the head think figure out how to how to figure out this problem you know lead people but then he just has these little explosions of of anger the, the scene at the end when he um, you know he sits back he's got the tears in his eyes he wipes them away you know um, he's doing his he's doing his tie up and saying that it's going to be this is going to be um, NASA's greatest greatest moment not their worst um, I think he really pulls a lot out of that of that performance and um, yeah just a, a very much a um, one of my one of my favourites so uh, so yeah that's why I went for, um, for uh, Apollo 13 as number three on my list
1: that's a great choice. I, I'm a big fan of Apollo 13. I remember seeing it. I always associate it with Judge Dredd because in America it yeah. came out the same weekend as this, uh, as Judge Dredd, the Sylvester Stallone Judge Dredd, not mm-hmm. the other one. And I always loved Judge Dredd. So we saw the midnight, like the, the preview midnight screening of Judge Dredd and then went home, went to sleep, got up early the next morning and then went back to the theater and saw Apollo 13. <laughs> and then the whole weekend we just kept going back and flip-flopping and seeing Judge Dredd again and then Apollo 13 again. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I love this movie. Uh, I love Bill Paxton in it. I love Bill yeah. Paxton. In it. We're, we're both huge Bill Paxton fans. Yeah. So I was really excited to see Bill Paxton in such a big movie because it was kind of this feeling like you're rooting for him. We've loved Bill Paxton since Aliens, which is probably for Nick and I our favorite movie along with like Terminator Two. So you're kind of rooting for Bill Paxton. You know, the whole world's going to see him now in this big Tom Hanks movie, and they're really going to like appreciate how good he is. Um, Ed Harris. Is always amazing. He's. You're right. He's so good in this. Is one of his best performances because it's so subtle. Mm. And there's. He's got. He's. It's so controlled. He can be. He can be wild. Like Just Cause, the 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 uh, Sean Connery movie where he's just completely unhinged. Mm -hmm. Um, But in this, he's so controlled. Definitely. Yeah, loved him in uh, Pollock. It was another really good biopic that that he was in, Truman Show. Where he's so he, he there's a sweetness mm-hmm. to him in the Truman Show. It's a and weirdly in a similar role to Apollo 13 because he's sitting in a control room. Yeah, but it's a completely different kind of performance. Um, and then for for I think Nick and I our favorite Ed, Ed Harris performance is the Abyss, the James Cameron movie. We did a whole episode on how much we love that movie. But yeah, Ed Harris again. It was an example of Ed Harris is in a big movie and people can really appreciate this guy. Kathleen Quinlan yep. is amazing. Right. yep. Um, she got Oscar nominated, too, I think, for that. I always love the scene right before the launch when she loses her ring down mm-hmm. the drain. Because it's just like, oh, that's no, bad luck. Like, this is something's going to go wrong. It was a great indication that things aren't quite right. Yeah. Um, the James Horner score is beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's one of oh, the yeah. James Horner scores. Mm-hmm. Um, this was, I had this movie, or I still have it, but uh, on Laserdisc. Because I I was a big Laserdisc guy right when, you know, before DVD hit, Laserdisc was the pre-DVD thing. It was the first place you could get a widescreen home version of a movie with, you know, the exception of a few VHS tapes that popped up here and there. And I had the whole home theater set up at that time. So I would use that launch sequence with the subwoofer going and everything as like my demo (laughs) scene. So, yeah, great choice. I love Apollo 13.
2: Yeah, Apollo. I mean, yeah, it's it's great. I'll I'll never I'll never let my brother forget. Uh, we went to the theater that day, and it was uh, my brother, my dad, and myself. And we were trying to decide what to see. And I wanted to see Apollo thirteen, and my brother wanted to go see Getting Even with Dad. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Ted Danson, and Is it Ted with Danson Ted and Dance and,
2: yeah, and and so like like my dad said like, like oh my god like who do I have to go see a movie with and you know so he went with my brother to go see Kidding. Even with Dad, and I saw Paul thirteen by myself, and it was great. It was like a full theater, and I, I like a full theater sometimes. Is it, you know as long as the crowd behaves, I'm I'm total fan of a big theater because I like the I like the energy and uh in the in the you know, the clapping, the applauding, the laughing, that type of stuff, um, and, and that's exactly what that experience was, you know, you could hear people gasping and clapping and all that, and, and I just remember, like, you know, coming out of the movie, and like, he was so disappointed with getting even with Dad, and I was just like, well, you pass on Apollo 13 to go see it, and I'll never let him forget that, um, but yeah, I mean, amazing cast, I mean, just one of Ron Howard's best, I mean, yeah, and I mean, the late, great Bill Paxson and. Um, and James Horner I mean brilliant uh yeah fantastic so and like you said too you know it's something where it's such a great feat where you know if if you know the story obviously you know that they survive but when you're in that movie yeah. you 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 almost forget that right like you're yeah. You're in that tension where you're just like, are they gonna make it? Even though you know, yes. yeah. but it's still so well crafted where you're just like, you know, when when they go into the blackout thing, you're just like, oh, please make it through, please make it through. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, that's a that that's a that's a that's a great work of art then.
0: So Nick, I'm really looking forward to hearing your um, your thoughts on on your number three pick. Really looking forward to this
2: okay great uh so my number three uh one of my favorite topics (laughs) (laughs) um is uh is the topic of sex so my number three is the movie kinsey um directed by bill condon starring uh liam neeson laura linney um i mean the the cast of this movie is absolutely incredible um outside of those two you got peter skarsgård timothy hutton john lithgow tim curry oliver platt william sadler um, Lynn Redgrave, Veronica Cartwright, I mean, what an absolute cast for this movie. And um, what I like about it is is you know much like uh, sort of like people versus Larry Flint, like you know, sex doesn't have to be taboo. It should be talked about and discussed and not treated like it's it's an evil thing. And you know um, and you know I like the fact that you know, he, that, that Kinsey is just there to explore all the options and the ideas, um, of sex, um, and, you know, to break it down to, you know, make people feel comfortable and know that what they feel, no matter what, who it's towards or how it's towards, um, that, that, that it's okay. Um, and that's really what I like about, about this film. Um, again, with all the great performances and cast members in here, um, you know, and, uh, you know, it all comes down to sort of like, almost like within Schindler's List, like when, you know, when they say in Schindler's List, you know, you, you know, you save one life, you know, you save the world entire, you know, very much similar like this to, you know, in the moment where the woman, you know, thanks him for the work that he did because without that, she would not have, you know, found the woman that, you know, that, you know, she loves and has been living with for, you know, many years and, and that, that it saved her, um, so you know it's 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 important to talk about it and not treat it like it's it's something bad and it's only for certain people at certain ages or anything like that. And um, so yeah, so that's my that's my number three.
1: That's such an awesome way to describe that movie. And yeah, I I think this Thank movie you. is a real hidden gem of a movie. Not a lot of people saw it when it came out. Not a lot of people even know it exists anymore um Liam Neeson I mean the cast is incredible you got Liam Neeson Laura Linney is incredible directed by Bill Condon who directed also another really fantastic biopic called Gods and Monsters about James Whale who directed uh, Frankenstein um I love this movie I love what it stands for I love what it talks about um America is very sexually repressed extremely uncomfortable with sex and puritanical, which I maybe is like at least maybe it's changed recently, but it seems like it's, um, it's kind of the reverse over in England, where it's more violence gets censored more than sex over there, um, which is probably more healthier. Not that censorship is healthy in any ways, but but there's a there's a mo- more of a negative attitude towards violence, whereas over here, violence is celebrated and and sex, is, oh that's bad. So I really do uh, appreciate the you know what this movie stands for. But yeah, I love Kinsey. That's a really great pick.
0: Um, definitely a great pick, um, uh, Nick. I um, I haven't seen this one unfortunately, as well. Um, but it's and again, it's one maybe similar to the to the founder as well. When I saw it on your list, I was a bit like, oh god! I remember that being out at the time, and I remember watching. Um, uh liam neeson on inside the actor studio and they showed a, a couple of clips from it and he talked about it a lot And i remember thinking oh i definitely did see that i love laura linney peter sarsgaard i think is one of the most underrated actors um of, of this generation i think he's great um so good yeah 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 no i think he's i think he's incredible and um so yeah definitely one that i want to um that i want to watch um sneak peek behind the 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 lens here when i said i'm really looking forward to hearing what you have to say i obviously you've moved your your, <laughs> your picks of two to three i <laughs> thought it was going to be the original number three that you had so when you said oh this is one of my favorite subjects i was like oh okay yeah. um and then, you, and then you said sex i'm like oh okay I, was, I didn't that was <laughs> but um but yeah, no, I can't wait to. Um, I, I definitely put this up with um, with Larry um, Larry Flint as a as a film to um, as a film to watch for for myself. Um, and, I, and I
2: won't spoil it for you, but there there just there's a a, a scene in there with John Lithgow, um, and it's just it's it's an incredible performance by Lithgow in there, and it's just. Incredibly emotional, um, and uh, it's one of my favorite things that John Lithgow done, other than stuff that I grew up with him. But mm. like in terms of like most recently, um, but yeah, it's just uh, like I said. Just I mean, just the cast is incredible. Um, but yeah, I, I would love to hear what you think about it when you see it.
0: Yeah, I will. No, I'll, de- I'll definitely let you know. Um, yeah, when you said um, hidden hidden gem, um, Dustin, that sounded like a perfect way to to describe it. I, I remember at the time it was, I think. Actually, was it only Laura Linney that was nominated for an Oscar? I know that was a there was an Oscar nomination in there somewhere for it. Um,
1: I don't remember. Yeah, I know she was. There, there was a little bit of Oscar buzz for it. There's a little yeah. bit of attention, and then it didn't win anything. It got a yeah. couple of nominations, and it kind of faded into obscurity.
2: Yeah. I mean, for for such an incredible cast, the budget was only eleven million dollars. Uh-huh. I mean, that's that's insane to think with all those names in there, and I think it only made like, you know five or eight million more than that. I mean, mm-hmm. so it's it's really, I mean, it, it's, you know, to get all those actors for that amount of money to make such a great film and then not, you know, not stand out too much. And you're right, yeah, there was only just a nomination for for Laura Linney. I mean, there was other, you know, smaller ones like Screen Actors and stuff like that where there was a little bit more nominations. But, yeah, the only Academy Award nomination was uh, was for her.
0: Yeah. Yeah, no, so I, I think, I remember, yeah, again, it being... um being released at the time, and, and there being some yeah awards buzz around it, and it's just, again it's just another one of those films that whenever I see it mentioned or 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 anything, I'm like oh god yeah no I do need to I do need to watch that one so um so yeah no we'll uh, definitely watch that one at, at some point um cool okay so we're on to our number twos now um so uh, yeah looking forward to, to all of us talking on, on these ones um so yeah Dustin, let's let's go to you for number two
1: okay my my number two is uh, 1995's Nixon. Um, It's the biopic of the 37th US president, Richard Nixon, directed by the only guy who could probably make you excited to see a movie about Richard Nixon, the great masterful Oliver Stone, uh, who is one of my very favorite top two, three directors of all time. very important filmmaker for to my uh, experience, uh, sort of understanding movies and really getting into analyzing films and understanding that movies can be more than just uh, fun. You know that they can be complex and they can change things and all of that. Uh, Richard Nixon was, of course, a corrupted, paranoid, deeply insecure guy. Um, He committed crimes so he could cling to power and then he lied about it so so obviously the movie is still very relevant today unfortunately it shows how history can repeat itself when this movie came out it was at the absolute height of my oliver stone obsession um he had already made at that time and still to this day some of my favorite movies of all time he was a huge influence on me as a, a writer and a filmmaker His films made me, uh, actually inspired me to go to to enroll in film school, to become a screenwriter, to get into filmmaking, especially his 90s stuff, starting with uh, JFK. Uh, The Doors, which I'll talk about that one a little bit more when we get to the honorable mentions, but that was a a huge moment for me. Uh, Heaven and Earth, which is an underrated movie, underappreciated, Um, and most importantly, up to Nixon and probably still uh, Natural Born Killers. Uh, that's the movie that I can say changed my life in terms of deciding to dedicate my life to movies, writing, and filmmaking. Uh, I saw Nixon like eight times in the theater, and it was really only out for a couple of weeks. It didn't; it, it was not a successful movie by any stretch. It came out at a very busy time, so there's a lot of movies kind of coming in, and they were just kind of pushed it out the back door pretty quickly, but even in that short period of time, I just kept going back, and it's a long movie. It's like three hours and ten minutes, so it would be like, that would be the whole day basically like yeah. i'm gonna, what are you going to do today i'm going to go see nixon again <laughs> because i knew it wasn't going to be around and i'm like i want to i want to be just completely immersed in this film it's it's different to see a movie in the theater than it is to watch it on laserdisc at the time or on blu-ray um i just knew that i wasn't going to be able to repeat this experience so i better get it as many times as possible while i still can um but yeah nixon sort of takes the best of jfk and natural born killers stylistically and refines it It's told in a flashback style uh, with Richard Nixon on the verge of his resignation. He's drunk and he's listening to his secret tapes and looking back on his life. Um, Anthony Hopkins plays him with no prosthetic makeup, sort of suggesting Nixon rather than imitating him, which to me totally works. For me, it works better, say, The Darkest Hour, where Gary Oldman is just cakes buried under makeup, good makeup. But still, you spend half the movie looking for the seams in the makeup and missing the performance, I think. Here, you just go with it. Like, you get to see the actor's face, which really makes all the difference. The cast is insane. So many great stars. Joan Allen, Paul Servino, James Woods, Ed Harris again popping up. Mary version, the late, great J.T. Walsh. Uh, Bob Hoskins plays J. Edgar Hoover. Uh, Powers Booth, Dan Hidea, Madeline Kahn, of all people, shows up. David Paymer, David Hyde Pierce, like the list just goes on and on. There's a beautiful John Williams score. Um, it's a good companion piece to the JFK score, actually. Uh, but for me, the real stars, besides Oliver Stone himself, uh, are the director of photography, Robert Richardson, and the editors, Hank Corwin and Brian Burden, who all also worked on Natural Born Killers. Uh, it's shot on multiple formats, 35mm, 16 8mm, color black and white and all that material is edited together in a very experimental way not not randomly experimental but it's experimental with design and purpose Um, so it's not just master shot medium close-up close-up Richardson um, and the editors and Oliver Stone kind of create this almost like a sort of new mainstream cinematic language which they did over the course of four or five movies during that period, you get a lot of the trademark Oliver Stone vertical cutting where a moment plays out, say, like in 35 millimeter. And then there's a cut to a black and white of the same basic shot, maybe handheld, um, where you uh, where it's, it's meant to suggest the actor's or the character's internal state, whereas they may be projecting something externally and then we jump into their head, but we do it in, a, in an interesting visual. Like, for example, there's a moment when Nixon is telling a story about uh, when John F. Kennedy insulted him by calling him like a two-bit grocery store clerk or something. And in the 35-millimeter shot, he's in a way that makes it look like he's not bothered by it. Like JFK, you know, what a jerk. But then in the vertical cut, we see just for a few seconds a look on his face that shows inside that it really hurts him, that kind of thing. And it's just an interesting style that you don't – I mean. Some people tried to, to, to steal it a little bit during that period, but you definitely don't really see it anymore. Uh, the screenplay, for my money, is one of the most intelligent, literate screenplays written in, like, the last 30 years. It's basically structured like a Shakespearean tragedy with maybe a little touch of Citizen Kane in there. Um, so you start with that, just a masterful piece of writing that a lot of directors would just shoot straight. And in like an almost pedestrian kind of way, just to, you know, well, we got, well, the script's good enough, let's not mess with it. But then with Stone, though, you add on top of the script that electric Oliver Stone visual style of the 90s, and it just becomes a masterpiece. For me, it really is a true masterpiece. So, yeah, Nixon, my number two.
0: I could listen to you keep talking on about um, Oliver Stone and, and Nixon all day, Dustin. That was that was fantastic. Lovely <laughs> to listen to. Um, right. <laughs> no, that was that was brilliant. I'd love to. Um, yeah, if you guys ever have plans to do a, to do a Oliver Stone episode or anything, you know, please please let me know if you're looking for a guest. I'd I'd love to. Um, That'd be great. Yeah, I I you're one of my definitely one of my favourite filmmakers as well. Nixon, I I have watched uh, a long time ago. I saw. I've only seen it the once. Like you said about Anthony Hopkins, one of the most um, God. I mean, yeah. I mean, he looks, you know, apart from being a bit short, he looks nothing like uh, Richard Nixon at all. Just Anthony Hopkins, Richard Nixon. But yeah, he just crumples his body in such a way. I think there's some help with the teeth there and stuff. I mean, even the accent is like it's not a it's not a real impression of of um, of um, Richard Nixon, like you said, but just kind of gets the whole. idea of him you know just the kind of you know small man bit kind of unusual looking that's i think that's why um i enjoyed frost nixon but i just think frank langella was maybe too um maybe just wasn't the right person to to play him i don't think he didn't quite kind of capture it um um that kind of nervousness and everything um yeah no brilliant film great choice how i can't really add on to anything else that you've just said you you summed up kind of perfectly uh very eloquently um so uh yeah nick i'll add it i'll throw it over to you if you've got anything mm-hmm. to add at all
2: uh i mean i think you guys really i mean said it all i mean it's 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 a great film i haven't seen it in a long time so it never really makes me want to uh, watch it again because well, i don't I think my, my wife has actually ever seen that before um but uh yeah i mean i really love the vertical editing in that film too is is absolutely amazing um but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think you guys said everything about it. It's brilliant film, and it's funny you mentioned that too about him not looking like Nixon, which is funny because I never really thought about that before. Like you completely forget. Yeah, you forget don't really think about it. You just accept. No. That, say, yeah, well, he's, just, he's yeah. Nixon.
1: Because <clears throat> he pretends right. Nixon, even if he looks nothing like him, sounds not really like him. Which is funny because like if that
2: happened today, like people would just automatically hate the film because he doesn't look exactly like Nixon, which yeah. I think is fascinating. Yeah
0: my number two pick is a british film called 24 hour party people um which i think is one of my probably in my top 10 um favorite films of of all time so this is the story about the um Manchester scene from um the the late 70s going into the early 90s um so it's about a chap called um Tony Wilson who was a uh, a journalist and a, a TV presenter um I think more regionally in in Manchester at first but um became uh, kind of more of a national figure when um yeah the kind of the the music scene and in, in in Manchester at the time completely exploded so it's about um the film starts with a, a great scene where it shows very, um, a very bad film of the Sex Pistols playing at a venue in, in Manchester, quite a small gig, but at that gig were Tony Wilson, who was a, um, a local TV presenter who um, created, who had this um, show called, I think it was called The that was the week that was, I think it was called, and he he made this section then for having new musical acts on it. Um, and at this at the show where they watched the Sex Pistols was him, um, the the members of the band uh, Joy Division um, before they became Joy Division, Mick Hucknall from uh, Simply Red, and there was someone else at it as well. So it was this real like you know it was kind of like they said you know anyone who went to that to that gig went on to make a create a band and and go into a band and write a song you know it was one of those kind of famous famous gigs um so basically yeah it's about the story of um the creation of um that music scene uh joy division then turning into new order um then the the happy mondays as well coming in there in the in the late 80s and and the early 90s the the setup of the um famous club the hacienda as well and um the uh the setup of factory records which um new order and happy mondays were all were all signed to and um yeah just kind of how the how the music was developed and and how it kind of changed things and how just kind of crazy those those times were um so steve coogan plays um tony wilson um steve coogan i i do like steve coogan but it's uh it's I think especially at that time he couldn't really play any other type of character any type of character without a bit of alan partridge being in there um so it's a little bit tony wilson it's a little bit alan partridge but he plays it very well um you have uh will oh, just i mean the the supporting cast is, is incredible you have paddy constantine playing the manager of of joy division sean harris plays um ian curtis the, the lead singer of, of of joy division um john Sim is in is in there as um bernard sumner uh anti-circus is in the film as a record producer um uh lenny james from from the walking dead is in the film um uh, shirley henderson is a great actress as well she's she's in the film so it's a real it's a real amazing supporting cast one of those films that is also very um very upfront about the fact that it's a film that is based on a true story but there are a lot of um legendary stories that are put in there that no one can can confirm or deny if they actually happened but um i think they say in the film you know if you're gonna uh, if you're gonna pr- print the truth or the legend maybe it's always best to go with the legend so um they there's definitely some things in there that maybe didn't happen but um it doesn't it doesn't really matter um and yeah just a film about a Period of time that was that was amazing. Um, uh, a film about, I mean, Ian Curtis of the of Joy Division. If if no one's ever, I mean, I'm not a huge Joy Division fan, but uh, a lot of their songs are amazing. If if anyone has has never heard of Joy Division or never heard of Ian Curtis, definitely do a um, uh, definitely do a little bit of internet research. Watch this film. Watch uh, Control as well. Another film that is, is more of a biopic about Ian uh, Ian Curtis. Um, just an amazing just a very very troubled character, a very amazing uh, character. Um, very famous for his onstage presence and dancing, erratic kind of erratic dancing, just kind of completely drew you in. Um, uh, um, Sean Harris, who plays him, just just plays him to perfection. I think the way he dances, the way he moves, the way he um, just the 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 type of character he is, I think he just encapsulates, um, the, uh, Ian so well. And, um, just a really, really just a great film. Just, you know, comedy emotion. Simon Pegg has a, um, has a cameo, uh, performance in this film as well. Um, just one that, yeah, is definitely in my top 10. I, I come back to every now and then, um, anyone who has ever watched the, um, the British TV series, uh, the, the trip with um, Steve Coogan and Rob Brydon. Um, Rob Bryden has a small part in this film and there's a, there's a very funny scene um, between him and Steve Coogan that's kind of like the, the seeds of, of, of the trip, if anyone's watched that. It's like real life um, bits in there, like the, the showing of the um, Sex Pistols gig. Um, it's very, you know, they break the fourth wall in it quite a lot and, um, you know, unreliable narrators in it, but it's, um, it's some real real people playing playing characters in it there's um i think the bassist from stone roses is, is is playing a character in it as well so you have a lot of a lot of like real life character uh, real life people that are playing characters in the film too um there's just so much in there to enjoy and um yeah anyone who's who's not seen it and has an interest in um yeah maybe 19 1980s early 1990s british music or music in general will will absolutely um will absolutely love it so so yeah that's um 24 hour party people which is my my number two film
1: yeah i saw this movie back when it first came out like around 2003 2004 Uh and i really liked it a lot i have not seen it since but i do remember liking how inventive it was Mm -hmm. um i liked i remember that it broke the fourth wall i remember liking that about it of course the music is amazing Big fan of uh, Joy Division, big fan of Sex Pistols, and especially New Order. Um, and I, I seem to remember being feeling at least like it was very heavily improvised, which I always like when they can pull that off. But And I also uh, remember thinking that the actor that played Ian Curtis was incredible. Yeah. But yeah, I, I, um, I haven't seen it for a long time, but I did like it a lot when I saw it. I do own it. I have to take a look at it again.
0: Yeah, definitely. No, that would be great. Yeah, let me let me know kind of what you what you think of it on on the rewatch after after a little break. But no, that, amazing that you've you've seen that one. Yeah,
2: it is not one that I have seen yet. But I'm definitely taking notes, and uh, I, I will definitely try to catch up on this one as well because it sounds absolutely fascinating. Um, I mean, what a great cast in there as well. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, I just, I've I've not seen that one yet.
1: You know, also I I want to mention about uh, Patty Constantine. Uh, who I completely forgot that he was in that, and I am a big fan of him as an actor, especially for uh, a Jim Sheridan movie that he did that nobody saw and nobody ever talks about. In America? Called in America, yes, with um, Samantha Morton and Jamie Hoon Sue. That is one of my all-time, like, you know, reduce me to a puddle <laughs> movies. I remember seeing it in the theater, and I don't know what it was. It's happened every time I've seen it. In the theater, in the first five minutes, maybe it's something about the kids or just the whole experience that they're going through. But, like, I just started sobbing, and I sobbed through the whole movie Uh in a good way. Like, it's just a really emotional uh, movie, and it just rings you out. So I I definitely now want to revisit 24-hour party people so that I can see some more uh, Patti Constantine because I'm a big fan of him
0: yeah no he's a, he's a yeah he's a great actor he's one of my favorites too definitely dead man's shoes if you've never seen that is a um, that's got an amazing performance by by um, patty constantine in it mm. um let's try this again nick nick i cannot wait to hear about your number two pick <laughs>
2: um so kind of writing on a dozen's go tails here so my number two pick is an oliver stone classic uh jfk um now, I had seen, you know, some previous Oliver Stone films, um, you know, prior to JFK, like, you know, Wall Street, Platoon, Born on the Fourth of July. Um, but where this one came into my life was um, we had to do a report in school. You had to pick a president to do a report on. And this was sort of the time where I kind of gave up on reading books. I just was like, I'm more into movies now than reading books. And I was like, oh, what a perfect opportunity to watch and do report on jfk which which was amazing and then also backfiring at the same time because you know like i remember going to blockbuster to rent jfk and i'm like oh my god there's two tapes oh my god this is (laughs) going to be like incredible and i'm going to do a book report on this which was a mistake because the obviously the amount of detail in this in this movie is incredible so my report did not come out as well because i think i was writing as you know, as there was editing in this movie, so it didn't it didn't turn out as well as I would hope. But I remember just being blown away because this was the first time that I encountered that type of you know editing in a film, um, in you know all the different kinds of uh, you know mediums to to tell this story too. So I was completely captivated by the movie. Um, but yeah, my report did not turn out as well as I said. But uh, but yeah, I mean I mean again. Amazing Oliver Stone movie. The cast is incredible from, you know, the great Kevin Costner, Kevin Bacon, Tommy Lee Jones, Gary Oldman, Michael Rooker, uh, you know, John Goodman, like all those guys in there. Um, John, did I say John Goodman? Oh, my God. I I meant uh, John Candy. Candy, Excuse me. Um, uh, And, you know, uh, just an amazing picture. I mean, like, just I'm always blown away on how Oliver Stone does this, and much the same effect of like Nixon to figure out all the editing and that research to put into to to make something like this. Um, but, uh, yeah, like I said, I mean, i i was I was really a shock to be blown away by a movie but then not be able to articulate what I just saw, which was an unusual experience.
0: I love this film. I only just watched it. Uh, well, sorry, I have I watched it a couple of times, but I've I've only just rewatched it again very recently, literally a few weeks ago. Um, I think on the back of um, it being on the, they covered it on the rewatchables. So I, I, was like, God, I haven't seen that film in so long. I want to I want to see it, and um, yeah, I mean, definitely from a just a, the editing stand, standpoint, as you're going to say, how how you can plan out the how you can plan out that film with the amount of cuts and edits and, and everything in it. I just, it takes an absolute, well, a couple of geniuses, obviously to, to be able to do that. Oliver Stone and and the editor on the film, um, John Candy giving a very, um, uh, scene stealing performance, uh, movie stealing performance, um, Joe Pesci in a performance that's, unlike anything else he's ever done before tommy lee jones um exactly the same as well but kevin costner i think it's it's maybe his possibly his best performance for me he's for a film that has got so much weight to it in in um kind of historically but also weight to it in the you know the the running time the the cuts the subject matter you need a movie star to who is a great actor to be able to kind of anchor that film and he's he's absolutely perfect um for that role i think a film that i think um is um just probably quite necessary in order to be able to kind of maybe keep those conversations happening and i think the um the mr x scene um just maybe one of the most amazing 16-minute monologues in in film history. with um, Don, Donald Sutherland—that's I think that's my favorite scene from the film. So yeah, uh, it was going to be probably yeah. one of my honorable mentions, Nick. So it was uh, yeah, and a uh, brilliant pick, I think. And
2: in, in, in you know, and nobody can direct, I think Tommy Lee Jones like Oliver Stone can because I mean you know that that's a Tommy Lee Jones that I miss too. You know, no. um, yeah. uh, from um, uh, Heaven and Earth, Jewish. Natural Born Killers. Um, yeah, I mean, that's, you know, I, I miss that Tommy Lee Jones, too, as well. But, uh, but yeah, I, I think you're right about that as well. That's fascinating.
1: Yeah, JFK, I mean, like I said, with Nixon, uh, you know, Oliver Stone, one of my favorite directors, JFK came at a real pivotal time for me. Came right after The Doors. It was in the same year as The Doors, which is insane to think that he made The Doors and JFK in the exact same year. But I think what I liked about Stone, you know, I wasn't really political at that time. I wasn't really paying much attention to politics. So it wasn't even the politic aspect that was, that fired my imagination with that movie. It was more uh, the filmmaking. Mm -hmm. And um, that's what really excited me. And I also liked, regardless of what, you know, what the subject matter was, I liked that he was kind of a provocateur, that he made movies that became part of the cultural conversation and really sort of made some people mad and his movies changed things or at least they they forced the conversation they felt very much on the razor's edge of now even though a lot of them were actually period pieces they felt relevant and I just love what a troublemaker he was and that's (laughs) really what attracted me is that you could be an artist and make trouble like good trouble and I knew I knew that that's what I wanted to do too so JFK was a huge uh, movie for me so excellent pick
0: yeah, definitely. I completely agree. And it, it's, it's, um, I think I mentioned it during during Nixon as well, um, Dustin, but it's so good to, yeah, just hear kind of how influential Oliver Stone was and, and the films on, on yourself and, and kind of what you were, um, then, yeah, hoping to, to do for a living. So that's, that's really cool to hear. Um, and yeah, JFK, I think we were, we, we'd already mentioned it, but, um, I think we talked about it again kind of off, uh, off the recording was just, the uh, Nick, I think you just said just the, the ability to be able to, plan that film and get the cuts together and and everything it's just um yeah just a absolute kind of bravura bravura i can't say that word (laughs) bravura i'm gonna cut that out don't worry it's absolutely amazing filmmaking
2: (laughs) i would love to be a fly on a wall just to watch like just one day of all those you know cuts and shots and everything My my god
1: cool okay so that's that's all of us from
0: five to two Um, so I think, yeah, it was, we were going to look at what our, um, honorable mentions were. Should we reverse it this time? Should we go, um, Nick, do you want to kind of run through any of your, um, honorable mentions that didn't quite make the top five?
2: Um, sure. I mean, well, I think like one of the most obvious ones I think that we would probably agree upon is, um, you know, Schindler's List. Of course. Yeah. Um, another one of mine was, um, The Elephant Man. Um, I remember watching that movie with my grandma, um on tv and i was just fascinated by that because just i mean how heartbreaking it is and just the just that black and white it's just gorgeous cinematography for that movie um uh i'm trying to think of what else um uh the insider uh, another great one russell crow another yes. great performance by him yeah
0: yes so for, for myself i had jfk um uh, definitely as an honorable mention for me um uh your number one film was a was a honorable mention for myself as well um so on on twitter this week i did kind of put out a couple of things and one that um one performance that i think is is fantastic is tom hardy in bronson um i'm not quite a really a fan of that film maybe a little bit too artsy for my taste but um he's incredible in that um in that film um another one for me was these these two were almost on my list i, su- I switched them out but um fox from for a few years back and um oh
2: yeah
0: and the big shorts as well was another one that was was very close to being in my uh, in my top five um i just kind of pulled those two out for um uh the Downs united and um I love you, Philip Morris, because uh, they were just ones that I wanted to um, maybe just talk about in a little bit more detail. But The Big Short, I thought, was just a fantastic piece of work that took a um, such a complex and recent topic and just kind of um, made it very digestible and, and entertaining. Um, difficult subject to do that with. And Foxcatcher was... I just love the atmosphere of that of that film. Um, I think there's a great documentary on Netflix about that as well, Um kind of what happened there but um again yeah if no one's if no one's um heard of that or, or watched the film or, or the documentary or anything like that if you've got any type of well you don't even have to have an interest in wrestling at all or anything it's it's just a i that was something that i'd never heard of at all before i saw the the trailer for the film and um was just completely yeah encaptured by it so i thought that was um i thought that was a, that was a really good one too um yeah how about yourself dusty
1: um, yeah, so the one I was going to mention uh, earlier was uh, another Oliver Stone movie. that It was the one that was in and out and in and out of my top five, but I, I left it out only because I put Bohemian Rhapsody and I didn't want to have two music biopics in there. But <laughs> it's, it definitely is a more important movie for me than Bohemian Rhapsody in terms of my like film development, and it was The Doors, uh-huh. directed by Oliver Stone, with Val Kilmer as Jim Morrison. Uh, that was a real, maybe other than like, the Muppet movie, which was, like, my first movie in the theater ever that made me, like, realize what movies were as a very young kid. And the Star Wars movies, of course, which are life-changing to anybody that sees them at that age. The next time that I felt, like, just electrified, uh, like I like there had been sort of a seismic shift was when I saw The Doors. And uh, when I saw it, it was just another movie that we were going to go see that weekend. And I knew it was a little bit more adult, but I wasn't... Uh, certainly wasn't prepared for what it ended up being this intense emotional uh super grown-up roller coaster ride in this guy's life that ends tragically and I remember just feeling uh overwhelmed by it and my dad picked us up from the theater after the movie and he said he said uh did you have fun (laughs) and I thought about it and I said no (laughs) I didn't (laughs) But I loved it. Like, and it was my my first realization that just going to the movies doesn't necessarily just mean having fun. Like, you can go to the movies and have a whole rainbow of different kinds of experiences, and that can be just as satisfying, if not more satisfying, than just enjoying yourself. Because it's not a fun movie; it's a very uh, upsetting, emotional roller coaster of a movie, and it drains you. And it wasn't fun, but it was exhilarating, which is better than fun to me when you see a movie. So that's the big one. Also Milk uh, with Sean Penn, uh, Harvey Milk, Yes, that was in and out of my list as well. Uh, Josh Brolin is fantastic in that too. Mm -hmm. Um, Really important movie. Uh, Gus Van Sant directed it. Um, The Disaster Artist with James Franco about uh, the making of uh, The Room, the sort of cult movie The Room by Tommy Wiseau. So good. Uh, That. Uh, it's so good. It's so good, and the, of course the room is so bad, but in the best possible way, it's uh, it, it does fit. the so bad, it's good. You know, we, we do a lot of movies on our show, which people like to say are so bad they're good, but we just think they're good. Uh-huh. But the room is just bad. It's just it's so bad. It's completely enjoyable, and and dis- the disaster artist follows the making of that movie and the sort of weirdness and madness of Tommy Wiseau, who. I've met and is exactly like that in real life, (laughs) exactly like that. That is not an act. That's just who he is. Um, Heaven and Earth, another Oliver Stone movie about uh, Lely Hayslip and her experiences during the Vietnam War, her marriage to an American soldier, and then her her traumatic move to America. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones is in that. Dolomite is My Name, the Eddie Murphy movie about Rudy Ray Moore from the Dolomite movies and uh, many other things. That is also written by Larry Kierczewski and Scott Alexander, the kings of the biopic. Um, incredibly funny, incredibly inspiring movie. And a case, I think, of because it was made for Netflix, doomed to the, the bottomless pit of streaming content. And people a lot of people don't even know about that movie because on Netflix, a movie will pop up in the main page for a couple of weeks, and then it just vanishes into the pit. And unless you've heard about it, you might not even know it's right there at your fingertips. So that's one I really recommend. And then just to, like, I just throw a couple more titles out real quick. Vice was a really good movie directed by Adam McKay, who also did the big shorts. Um, about uh, Dick Cheney. Again, not a guy that you really want to see a movie about, but the way he does it, it's incredibly entertaining. Uh, Henry and June by Philip Kaufman. Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, Terry Gilliams, Hunter S. Thompson, Bio. Okay throughout uh, Quills about the Marquis de Sade, starring Jeffrey Rush and Kate Winslet I think also directed by Philip Kaufman some, some oh great... Last Temptation of Christ Last Temptation of Christ <laughs> which is a really radical kind of uh, take on the story about Martin Scorsese which is one of my favorite Scorsese movies along with like Silence and Kundu
2: we got to watch Willem Dafoe introduce that movie which was great
1: yeah we did. oh amazing that was exciting About yeah
0: some, some great films there, Dustin. No, thanks. Thank you for that. I knew you'd, knew you'd have quite a few there. Um, um, W that you mentioned earlier, thank you. I think that was on my honorable mentions. I forgot to mention actually really underrated film. I think that one, Um, I love Josh Brolin. Yeah, like, and I think did. he can do anything, but that yeah, was that so was good. good. In that. Yeah, no, he's absolutely brilliant. And, and in Milk as well, I completely forgot about Milk. I don't know how I, yeah. that wasn't even on my list. I don't think I was on my long list, but I, I had no idea why that was, that's so, a, as you say, a really important film and a, um, yeah, and and uh, Josh Josh Brolin is is incredible in that film as is um, Sean Penn, obviously. But um, uh, yeah, no, yeah. B- amazing film, absolutely amazing.
1: Josh Brolin's so versatile. People, I don't think people give enough credit for how versatile he is. I mean, we think of him as as, uh, as the, the brother in the Goonies, like first and foremost Bill <laughs> yeah. as well. But it almost seems like a different person when you look at the stuff that he's doing as an adult. You know, you watch um. I, I did a, one of
0: my episodes was uh, on um, No Country for Old Men. Sorry, No Country for mm-hmm. Old Men versus There Will Be Blood, and I think I mentioned on that episode um, it was the first time I'd watched No Country for maybe four or five years, and um, just Brolin, for me was the one that really stood out to me um, in in that film. Um, obviously, it's like a you know a, a kind of a three hander between him and Javier Bardem and, and Tommy Lee Jones, but um, he he's just so good in that film at not doing a lot you know just his eyes and the way he can make the way he's you can just see what he's thinking and stuff he's that's a that's a brilliant performance i think um and uh, i mentioned him on um the uh the top five pta films as well his performance in inherent vice is is uh my my favorite from that from that film as well i think he's um yeah you can just do anything i think um Cool. No, thank you very much, guys, for your, um, for your honorable mentions there. Um, so I suppose, yeah, let's get into the uh, last film for each of us. And um, yeah, Dusty, if you want to kick us off with your number one pick.
1: All right. My, uh, my pick, my, my number one pick is also one of my top five, probably favorite movies of all time. Top five or ten, regardless of genre. And it is 1994's Tim Burton directed Ed Wood. Edward, Edward D. Wood Jr. was a filmmaker in the 1950s and 60s, probably best known for what some people would consider the quote-unquote worst movies of all time, which I would strongly disagree with. But he wrote and directed uh, like uh, Plan 9 from Outer Space, Glen or Glenda, Bride of the Monster, and the movie follows him gathering up his sort of outcast group of friends to make some of these movies, and it focuses a lot on his enthusiasm for movies and for making movies. And of course, it shows sort of how the rest of the world reacts to his idea, which is not positive, right, to say the least. But it's really about the, the triumph of um, optimism, I guess, or even like blind, dumb optimism even over cynicism and the importance of not giving up no matter like how overwhelming the odds are. My history with this movie was kind of uh, kind of worked out perfectly because a friend and I had, had found a videotape at a Suncoast video store uh, called Orgy of the Dead. And this was way before Edward came out. This is about a year before Edward came out, maybe six months. And the title alone, Orgy of the Dead, like, what is this? We got to buy this? This looks insane. So we bought it, took it and watched it. It was a, a weird, 1960s like like a monster nudie type thing i mean it wasn't pornographic it was just goofy and weird and we were just obsessed with it because it was just such a bizarre movie and it was this weird find out of, out of nowhere that we'd stumbled across and we it had edward jr edward jr made this movie. he didn't direct it but he wrote it and he was all over the box so like oh this edward guy is incredible And then, like a few months later, I read in Premiere Magazine that there was an Ed Wood biopic coming out. And I'm like, how random is it that we would discover this weird movie and become like fall in love with it, become obsessed with it? And then all of a sudden, there's a biopic of this weird guy that we don't really know anything about coming out. So it was really kind of perfect timing. And when it finally came out, We went to the uh, advanced. It was a midnight screening like a week before the movie was set to come out. Back in the days when they used to do like week in advance previews. And it was at midnight. We, you know, we we got there. We're so excited. The film starts and it's like juddering and jumping in the gate, shaking in the projector, the frame the entire time. So you could barely see the image. And it played like that through the entire two-hour movie. People were leaving and stuff. And we didn't care. Because we're just like, this is the greatest movie of all time. I, I don't care if, I don't care. We'll, we'll sit here and watch the whole thing. So we watched like the worst possible projection of it and loved every second of it. Um, Johnny Depp plays Ed Wood. And I think maybe his most lovable performance of any movie he's ever You cannot not love Ed in this movie. You like want to see him succeed so badly. Even to the point where Even though he's clearly making mistakes, you kind of root for him to keep making mistakes because you want him to make Ed Wood movies, not Stanley Kubrick movies. And if he's not making the mistakes, they're not going to be Ed Wood movies. The rest of the cast is amazing. Martin Landau plays like a drug-addicted, very washed-up Bela Lugosi, who's working now for Ed Wood because nobody else is going to hire him. Uh, He won an Oscar for that performance. Patricia Arquette, Sarah Jessica Parker, uh, the, the great Jeffrey Jones, Bill Murray, Lisa Marie. Again, written by Scott Alexander, Lear Uh But yeah, it's just a movie that I, I love passionately. It celebrates outcasts and freaks and weirdos who are like, that's our people. You know, the people on the fringe, which is the place that Nick and I have always felt the most comfortable, sort of on the edge with the oddballs they're the heroes in this movie and then the sort of so-called normal people the rational sensible type people are seen as kind of like the bad guys and it's definitely an example of an idealized biopic which in this case is so much more effective than if they had done like a totally truthful version of Ed's story because in reality uh, eventually he became an alcoholic because you know he just couldn't he couldn't crack it he couldn't break in and he started directing pornography or Monster nudies, as the end credits call it. So not not full blown, but like you know, soft type. Just, but not a good not a good situation for him. But the movie's ending is super optimistic. It's like it's the big premiere of Plan Nine from Outer Space, which is a totally fictional event created for the film. And they set it up like it's a giant Hollywood premiere, like the way Ed would see it in his dreams. And it's glorious, and everybody's clapping, and he leaves with his girlfriend, and it's raining. And it's storming like crazy. And then the top will not go down on his convertible. And he says, don't worry. I'm sure it's going to clear up before we get around the corner. And then they drive off and the camera climbs up and out into the Hollywood Hills. And we see that it's still raining like as far as the eye can see. But Ed is still optimistic. And I always loved how the movie is literally showing you here that like it's not going to clear up. (laughs) It's not going to get any better. But Ed's still going to drive all the way to the desert with the top down because he's so optimistic. So that's a big part of why I love this movie. It's just that that unadulterated optimism. So yeah, it's I love this movie. It's for me, it's a perfect movie. It's perfect.
0: Dustin, beautifully said. Um, thank you very much for for that. I haven't um, I haven't seen this film in ages. Um, um, but yeah, did do remember big parts of it again? I think um obviously martin lando got a got an oscar for this one didn't he i think a little bit um i think a little bit surprisingly but um it was a great performance and and yeah johnny depp i think yeah you said it perfectly one of his most um likable performances and um back when he was still i suppose not playing a version of johnny depp or um, captain jack sparrow or something in in his films um you know when he was still um seen as you know kind of one of the one of the great actors um so yeah no I, I i need to watch this film again um just to to appreciate it and maybe one of the more um uh outliers in in tim burton's history as well you know black and white and um maybe not so um uh tim burton stylized um obviously it's got johnny depp in it but um but yeah no i would definitely need to to take a look at this one again but yeah thank you very much for for just articulating how much how much it meant to you as well. That was that was lovely.
2: Yeah, I really love this movie as well. Um, all the same reasons, of course. Uh I mean, such a great performance. I love the black and white of this movie. Um it's so funny. I mean, like even like, you know, you know, just great performances like Bill Murray in here too, like that sometimes gets forgotten about, but yeah, absolutely amazing movie. Okay,
0: so my number one um is Moneyball. Um, I love this film. I really do. I, I This film, every time I see it, I just like it more and more. Um, for me, it's Brad Pitt's best performance um, as Billy Bean, the um, general manager of the Oakland A's baseball team. Um, it's based on the book uh, Moneyball, The Art of Winning an Unfair Game. Um, and again, it's... I, similar to kind of what I said about the Damned United, you know, you don't need to have uh, maybe a, a passion or a like for, for football in order to enjoy that film. I I went to watch an Atlanta Braves game um, when I was when I was studying over in in America, um, and they had a oh my god, what's it called when you've got there's someone on every base and then someone hits a home run and everyone go, everyone yep. kind of gets in. <laughs> Nick, you might be the only- grand slam thank you yes so there was grand slam in it which which was great that was like a you know the um most com- most comparable thing to like a goal being scored in in football um but yeah i very don't remember anything else about doing that about that i could name you a couple of um baseball players from just kind of you know hearing their names in films and that um simpsons episode where um they get the ringers into play for the um the softball team um but so yeah, not a huge interest in, 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 ba- in baseball, but um, just such a, again, just such a similar to, you know, um, the social network and uh, the big short, just a, f- a film about a subject that's quite, uh, it's very interesting, but it's quite kind of dry, you know, um, and having screenwriters like Steve Zally and and Aaron Sorkin on board to, to, to make it cinematic. And then the director Bennett Miller, who maybe is, it was the other. There was the director I was going to mention earlier. Earlier, who's maybe the um, one of the kings of of biopics, uh, especially in modern times. You know, um, directed Capote, for which um, Philip yeah. Seymour Hoffman won a of Best Oscar, um, Actor Oscar for. Um, directed this Moneyball. Directed Foxcatcher, that I mentioned earlier. Um, so so yeah, it really knows how to um, how to put these these films across. Um, yeah, like I said, are probably my my favorite, and I think the best. Um, Brad Pitt performance he he um, so obviously Billy Bean was previously a, a baseball player um, who didn't quite um, reach the um, his potential of being as, as good as they hoped he could be um, but he plays that so well of the general manager he used to be a used to be a jock you know he's got the um, tobacco in his mouth he's got the just the mannerisms of someone who you know used to be a professional athlete and is, and uh, kind of around that that situation um the the supporting cast is is amazing it's, you know he's got chris pratt philip seymour hoffman um jonah hill probably one of his best performances um i often re-watch the scene on youtube of when they're they're on the phone and they're trying to make a signing and and he makes that kind of fist fist pump um kind of move and they high five and stuff it was um you know that's a, that's a brilliant scene and just a film that just again i could just watch over and over and over again and i think kind of improves every time you see it yeah not really much else to say about it other than just just really enjoyable it's on netflix if anyone's not seen it it's it's on netflix and you can you can watch it in there um it was i think it was nominated for a few oscars i think best film and i'm pretty sure brad pitt and jonah hill got nominated for it as well um so yeah, it did get a lot of attention at the time but i think it's one of those films that's really looked back on now a lot more fondly it's it's talked about a lot on on um like the rewatchables did it it's talked about a lot on on the big picture when they do it when they did their 2011 um um uh draft and um on the cinephiles as well they do it they do a two-part episode on talking about moneyball um so again just and it was it did do quite well at the time it was at a budget of 50 million and 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 a box office of a return of 110 um so it did do well but it's um still i think maybe just underrated and underseen so it'd be good to for as many people to see it as they can because it's it's really um it's really enjoyable and again the biggest thing from it is even if you know absolutely zip about baseball it's it's one that you could really enjoy it's one that i keep on badgering my my wife to watch with me she, I'm not, she, just reached, the, she reached the synopsis I'm gonna watch that um but um so yeah i'm trying to encourage her to to see it um so yeah uh just it's funny um being a dad now of you know um nowadays the scene with uh Pitt's daughter playing guitar to him and singing the song just has me in tears every single time um yeah just 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 a great great film really real like I'd call a modern classic and um yeah definitely up there in my in my top 10 as well so um Moneyball yeah my number one I think it's brilliant
2: that's a great film um yeah I like that I like that as well and also yeah the late Philip Seymour Hoffman in there was great as well but yeah yeah, you're absolutely right I mean that that movie is certainly for you know even people who are not fans of baseball that they can certainly appreciate and enjoy, which is great. Well, yeah, what, um,
1: what is it about? It's a it's about math and sports. Yeah, sorry, no, I I should amazing. have said that.
0: So, yeah, so sorry, I do apologize. Yeah, so it's about um, it's about the um the analytics of, of building uh, a team. So it's about basically the, the Oakland A's, I think the, in the film they said they had the lowest budget of any of any team um in the um in the league. Um, I think at the start it starts it starts with a uh, like a fact of like the the New York Yankees wage bill was something like 116 million dollars, and then the Oakland A's was the, like 32, and the Yankees knocked them out of the um, of the playoffs the season before, and then Billy Bean starts to realise, look, we can't compete with um, the Yankees and and um, the Red Sox and the, the other teams um, that are very good, um, so we need to find a different way to to win. So what they did was instead of instead of looking at individual players, they looked at all of the statistics, and they figured out right, okay, what we need to do is get a certain amount of runs or a certain amount of wins in a season to be able to get to the playoffs. And the way of doing that is you have to just get as many runs, get as many, um, just break it down into its its nuances, and get the players that can do that. So for instance, they got a um, they got a guy who was a pitcher. But had a bad injury and couldn't couldn't pitch anymore, so he thought his career was over. But they changed him into a first baseman because, as a batter, he was good at getting on base, and that's exactly what they wanted. So that's the character that Chris Pratt plays. Um, So everyone else had given up on him. They got him. They could get him on the cheap, and um, he could fulfill that role for them. And it's just about them getting these kind of, maybe these baseball players that are. Similar to, you, to yourself and, and Nick Dustin, you know, are on the edge. You know, no one really of maybe pay too much attention to him, that kind of thing. And um, they're able to make them into a, a team that will be able to compete against the Yankees instead of having, like, star individuals that could drag everyone else along. Um, so, yeah, that's that's kind of what it's about. And, and Moneyball is turned yeah. into a thing that they use in various different types of sports now. Like Billy Bean, for example, is part of a consortium that owns a, a football team over here, Barnsley, uh, Barnsley Football Club. Um, who, who try to bring in the, the money ball side of things as well um uh so so yeah that that's the actual kind of basis of, of what the film's about yeah
1: and that's the, that's the thing like the, the fact that it's about sports it's about math mm. like two things that i like have zero interest in like i'm not i i actually dislike both of those things i'm just not into <laughs> those things and the fact that I still love the movie. I mean, that yeah. speaks to, like, uh, you're trying to get your wife to watch it. It really is It's an incredibly entertaining movie. Uh, it's not a... I mean, math and sports are, are part of the story, but that's not what they're about. Really. Exactly. It's, it's, like you said, it's it's about putting this team together. It's about. It's also about the daughter relationship between mm. uh, the daughter and Brad Pitt, which is uh, really tender. One of the one of the more realistic, I, I would imagine. Yes. Uh, Father daughter relationships that yeah. I've seen in a movie. Billy is super likable. Probably like him and Ed Wood are like the two most likable people we have on our lists. Of all these <laughs> biopics. Um, Jonah Hill, uh, really restrained. Sometimes I'm not a fan of him, but he's really restrained and really good in this movie just really well written and really well directed aaron sorkin also did uh another one of my uh, favorite biopics from the last few years steve jobs which i really liked a lot i need to watch
0: that yeah i haven't watched that one yet but yeah I need to watch that one
1: he wrote that one it was directed by i believe it was directed by danny boyle but he yeah. did write that and it was a really uh really smart uh again another subject matter not terribly interested in seeing a biopic about steve jobs but it just goes to show it doesn't really matter what the subject is yeah it's how is it executed because so many of these movies are about people that i wouldn't be interested in you know reading an article about but the movies are some of my favorites
0: I, th- I think as well just like um apologies nick sorry to, to obviously jump in at any time but um you know things like like you mentioned earlier the king's speech which is which is a good film and um uh like the theory of everything that eddie redmayne won his oscar for um those kind of ones i think and ray as well um they get so much attention because of the performances of the actor play it's it's almost like that that gets just as much attention as the actual film maybe at the time and it's it's kind of wow god uh, you know um jamie fox wore prosthetics over his eyes who couldn't actually see while he was doing that that was all his own um piano playing in the film um uh you know um wow eddie redmayne does you know being able to actually play um steve hawking um physically was was incredible and then i think that kind of that stuff gets pushed out so much in in the media and and the narrative of the film that you just, thats why maybe, <laughs> like the King Speech, they have a bit of a like. Oh, you know, people don't really want to watch yeah. them again. Maybe a couple of years later. But films like this, maybe that just are around. They get some Oscar buzz and they they do okay. But they're the ones that last longer because, um, you know, more people see them. It's talked about a bit more. It's it's got people like us and, um, the guys the guys at the Ringer and stuff that, that talk about it a lot more. Um, as as the year goes by and it stands the the test of time, I suppose. And it's not just. Not that um, you know the King's Speech or the Theory of Everything were um, were successful just based on you know kind of like oh wow this is what the main actor did it's they are good films as well in their own right but that's not what the um, that's not what's being pushed in in films like Moneyball and stuff yeah. you know you you gotta appreciate the filmmaking for it.
2: Right. It's a really good point that that you I mean I, I think you're right about that that the the performance it's one per singular performance will outshine the whether or not the movie is good or not right so like if the performance is good then everything else must be good Mm. and that's not always necessarily the case but so yeah i think that's a really good point
0: cool thank you um lovely so i think we're we're over to you nick for for your number one
2: all right so for my number one uh much similar to ed wood uh mine is with an outcast in the lead role which is uh man on the moon as jim carrey plays andy kaufman um i love this because i just love the fact that uh andy was a button pusher which i'm notorious for being not maybe so much as i'm as i'm getting older i try not to push as many buttons as i as i used to but um but i just love i just love the fact that you know he would show up to universities and just read them a story and then they would just leave and so he's, you know, he's he's there to do what he wants to do, not necessarily what everybody wants him to do. Um, uh, you know, just things even like the beginning of the movie. Because um, I remember when Dusty and I saw us, it, like, you know, because the beginning of the movie is is the ending of a movie. And I think if we didn't we see like old people like leave or something like that, because like I don't remember because like they show the credits at the beginning of the movie, like it's like it's the end credits, and you know, it's so I mean it's. Uh, you know it's you know fun stuff like that but you know it's an amazing cast um, I mean you know Jim Carrey loses himself in the role much like you know a lot of people do in in those types of uh, scenarios um, you know you had DeVito another per- great performance by Courtney Love then um, as his girlfriend Lynn you had Giamatti in there Paul Giamatti um, uh, you know and then you had of course you know the uh, Andy Kaufman's real life cast members from Taxi were in there like Christopher Lloyd, Judge Hirsch um carol kane jeff conway mary lou henner all those guys from taxi um but what what i really appreciate the fact is and i think this is kind of to comedy today is that people don't appreciate jokes like everything is so like you can't make fun of that these things aren't funny um but but they can be that's the whole point of being a comedian being funny is that things are supposed to be laughed at even the worst things in the world can can be funny they're, they're not saying that those things are, you know, it, it's just the intent of the joke is is that it's a joke. Um, you know, and, and there's that moment, you know, of course, where, you know, Andy's sick and he goes to, you know, he, he's doing everything that he can to, to heal himself. And he goes to, you know, one of those, you know, those healers where they just, you know, they reach into your body and they pull out your ailment and, and you're healed. And, you know, he realizes that it's a joke, it's the ultimate joke on him um but instead of being angry about it he laughs and he gets it it's it's the joke right of the whole thing and to me that's the most important message of the thing is that you have to be able to, to laugh at things it doesn't always have to be taken seriously even if it is the worst scenario on the planet um and uh even to just kind of offset from man on the moon um you know there's also the, uh, you know, documentary um, of Jim and Andy, The Great Beyond, which I would associate with this as well, which is the making, you know, sort of of Man on the Moon, where it just follows Jim Carrey as being Andy Kaufman the entire time. And Dusty and I were able to see that at AFI when it premiered there oh, and got to see Jim Carrey live uh, with it, with the cast, which was an amazing experience as well. So I kind of group all of that together together. Um, as, as this experience, um, for, for man on the moon. Um, but yeah, that's, that's why I like that.
1: Yeah. I, I suck at everything that you said there. I don't think I can add anything to I just love that movie. It's just, you know, it's, what is it? The third or fourth Larry Karaszewski, Scott Alexander movie, uh, the second Milos Forman movie. The yeah. Second and that- Jim movie. Coated and, up. you know, and Milos
2: is, yeah. of course, is, is you know, also one like Oliver Stone where he gets those biopics, you know, the same way, you know, Amadeus, Man on the Moon, you know. Yes.
1: Um, oh, yeah, and, and all of his uh, subject matter are, are usually these sort of anarchic uh, characters that are sort of busting out, like, you know, like Amadeus and, and Larry Flint and, and yeah. Andy Kaufman. They're all kind of of the same type of, of personality
0: yeah definitely no i i love that film too that was um that was almost in my obviously i mentioned it as an honorable mention that was almost in my list i put i put i love you philip morris in there um uh instead uh just as uh kind of like it was between the two jim carrey films but um but yeah no i love that film and and i'm, I'm glad you mentioned the documentary as well that must have been amazing to watch that um at the afi um kind of premiere there i love that one um and just going to what you were saying the one of the things that jim carrey said in that um that documentary that i thought was amazing and and you kind of alluded to it there nick was um how he always kind of went against the grain so at that time um when he was like wrestling women and and talking about how women you know belong in the in the kitchen all that kind of thing that was the time of of women's rights and it was a you know obviously it's always a hot topic but that's when that was really at the forefront and he just went completely 180 to that and um and did did the opposite and um yeah no I, i i i think that film's great i love the um i love the structure of it and, and courtney love is is fantastic in it as well um and again as you say like paul giamatti as well the um and yeah i think putting it together with the with the documentary is 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 completely right i think you kind of watching those as a double feature would be would be fantastic and um <laughs> just jim carrey's just i don't know
2: uh, i mean what a range that carrie uh, you know carrie's able to do too i mean uh, you know to do great comedy and then to go into things like uh like this or truman show um just awesome
0: he's he is unbelievable and just the the choice to do it that way as well is that uh, you know i don't know it's ridiculous but it's kind of you know it's what brought about an amazing performance like that as well and um uh yeah no i i think it's i think it's incredible so i think that's that's a brilliant choice for, for your number one nick that's that's amazing um lovely okay so um thank you guys so much for for your choices there so just to recap on that one so um so dustin's was at uh, number five mommy dearest number four bohemian rhapsody number three the people versus larry flint number two nixon and number one ed wood nick um was number five i tonya number four the founder number three kinsey number two jfk number one man on the moon and uh, for myself, it was number five. I love you, Philip Morris. Number four, The Damned United. Number three, Apollo 13. Number two, 24 Hour Party People. And number one, Moneyball. And from your guys, um, uh, the People versus Larry Flint and Kinsey and the Founder are ones that I haven't seen at all, and will um, will definitely be be seeking out to watch watch soon, Mommy Dearest maybe a few years down the line
1: um for, the, for that one um let's, let's just listen to our episode we'll take it through, take it through okay in fun yeah i'll listen so to that first to and then and then see how i feel the, the best of <laughs> best of moments
0: um so yeah th- those will be the ones i'll be i'll definitely be checking out soon um uh dustin you happy with your happy with your list you kind of i know you're kind of really agonized oh, over yeah, it so you're yeah. happy
1: with your top five well i'm glad we got to do the honorable mentions, because then I feel less guilty about leaving a few. Of them out. That's true, that does help, that does yeah. help, yes. Yeah. Yes, yes, but yeah, yeah, I am happy with I'm definitely going to check out M United, because I have not seen that one yet. Um, you made me want to re-watch Apollo 13, which I just picked up the 4K Blu-ray that recently, so oh, i have need to look at it again, too, so great. definitely going to watch And I think I'm going to re-look at uh, Tanya and see, because um, like I said, I, I liked it, didn't love it when I saw it, but I'll give it another shot here. Awesome, awesome.
0: How about yourself, Nick? Are you happy with yours? I know you, you kind
2: of changed the. Order yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, as much as the lists always drive me crazy, I, uh, I, I am happy with it. Um, I, I like talking about them. It made me feel a little bit better. Um, in doing so, because sometimes it's hard for me to tell me. It's hard for me sometimes to describe why I like a movie so much. It's yeah. easier for me to describe why I don't like a movie as opposed to why I love it. It's so I don't know why that is, but it just that how it works for me. But no but I, I I am I am certainly content with my list and um as Dusty said the honorable mention certainly helped because that way at least you feel like you know you've acknowledged the other ones that are out there and while we were on our little hiatus I did order I love you Philip Morris <laughs> oh, okay, okay. so so I'm excited to see that
0: oh awesome cool no, that's that's great and um yeah it'd be great to hear what you guys um yeah think of of all those of all those ones that you, you haven't seen yet and are going to do or, or relook at and um yeah I'll definitely let you know what I think of uh the ones I haven't seen yet and get around to so um so yeah no thank you guys so much I know it's it's been a it's been a long time um I've had you here but um but thank you so much for Blumen I technology you know what you're gonna do um uh bane of our lives sometimes but uh but no yeah, thank you so much for just that you know just one for being on the podcast but also just the you know just the the, the passion and um uh, the way you talked about some of those um, films was was incredible and, and very inspiring too. So just thank you so much for that. And um, yeah, just anyone who hasn't um, hasn't checked out the the Cherry Bombs podcast, please do try and seek it out. These guys are uh, these guys are great, very entertaining, and sometimes um, get their uh, well. Nick sometimes gets his other half on the on the phone. Um, without yeah, well, uh, <laughs> suspect it. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's um again. Just thank you so much, guys. It's I've really I've had a great time. So thank you.
1: Thank you. Thanks for inviting. Thank us. you so much. Appreciate to it. To overcome our little technical uh, problems here. Hopefully, it all uh, cuts together. I'm sure it'll be it'll be fine. But thanks so much for having us.
2: Yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you.
0: No, no problem at all. Thank you, guys, so much. Take care. So that was episode eleven of For Me These Films Are the Juice. I hope you really enjoyed listening to it, um, as I'm sure you agree. Um, Dustin and Nick are very, very knowledgeable about um, about films, and, and obviously the one the ones that they picked there. There's a few there that I haven't watched, which I'll definitely be putting on my on my watch list. Um, I hope that, that maybe there were some that all three of us mentioned that that you might be interested in watching, and also, um, or if you have watched them, maybe um enjoyed listening to um to us talk about them um this isn't like a, a vote style for who had the best list so it's just more for just people to listen to and enjoy um, but any feedback as always would be amazing um, you know you can drop me a message on on twitter or or the email address uh, thesefilmsarethejuice at gmail.com um, and yeah i just really hope you enjoyed it and and maybe you could check out the cherry bombs podcast as well um, one thing that I am um, hoping to get a little bit more of is um, is kind of feedback and ratings on on the podcast. Um, so, however you listen to the podcast on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, um, Good Pods, any whichever platform it is, um, whatever they have in place for maybe rating the podcast. I know on Spotify you can you can give the actual podcast a, a five star review. Um, Good Pods, you can you can rate. Um, individual episodes and and write some comments Um, Apple Podcasts I know you can leave reviews as well if you do enjoy the podcast obviously you don't don't have to but if you do enjoy the podcast and you could just take a minute to write a little review, put a five-star um, review down, that would be really greatly appreciated. It definitely pushes the um, the podcast up the algorithms and the ratings and just gets it out there a bit more for other people to, to listen to and enjoy. Um, alternatively, yeah, if you just want to, um, if you have any comments and want to provide them to me privately, as I say, please use my email address or, or get in touch on um, on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. It's, it's all, um, any feedback is always really greatly appreciated. Um, so yeah once again I hope you enjoyed the episode um, I hope you do keep listening my <clears throat> my next episode will be well actually I'm not recording um, I'm going to be a guest on another episode on another podcast uh, in a couple of weeks one that I mentioned in, in this um, in this episode which is every Romcom uh, podcast uh, with Jen so we're going to be looking at um, Groundhog Day which I'm really looking forward to so um, please keep a, an eye out for that one I'll make sure I advertise that one on all them um, kind of social media platforms and then my uh next episode after that uh we'll have to wait and see because um there's a couple of couple of options for that but i'll um i'll let everyone know uh as soon as that one's all booked in but yeah thank you once again for for listening uh stay safe and keep on tracking bye bye. <music>